Riddle me this, pod fans. What's 90 minutes long arrives every Friday and is all about the Cape Crusader? Why it's blabbing about Batman, the animated series, the newest Patreon-exclusive podcast miniseries on the Talking Simpsons Network. That's right. For the rest of 2021, we'll be covering our 10 favorite episodes of Batman, the animated series, with the same heavy-duty research, clips, and trivia you've come to expect from us. And if you sign up at the $5 level today at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons, you'll get to hear each episode as soon as it goes live. Remember, sign up at patreon.com slash talking simpsons to hear all 10 episodes of blabbing about batman the animated series as well as the 100 plus other exclusive podcast episodes we produce so far so become a patron and join us through the rest of 2021 for another great mini series same bat day same bat podcast feed i heartily endorse this event or product Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons where Ziggy never wins. I'm one of your hosts, the Mop Top with the Big Schnoz, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of the Simpsons who is here with me today. Hey, it's Henry Gilbert and I'm 239 and I'm feeling fine. And who do we have on the line? Uh, my name is Alex Navarro. I'm from Nextlander uh, and I would be a great artist except uh, <laughs> I don't paint sad clowns. And this week's episode is Brush with Greatness. Live from Mount Splashmore, the Tri-County area's funnest water recreation facility, it's the Krusty the Clown Show! Hey, kids! <laughs> this episode aired on April 11th, 1991, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real-world history. <gasps> oh my god! Oh boy, Bobby, Steven Seagal's Out for Justice tops the box office. Married with Children spinoff Top of the Heap debuts alongside this episode of Simpsons. And interesting lineup of timelines here. Paul McCartney appears on MTV Unplugged this very same week. Uh, I only know that Top of the Heap because I think at least the pilot got shoved into the rerun packages of Married with Children in my childhood. I, that's the Matt LeBlanc one. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was, uh, there was the pilot and also there was an episode that was the backdoor spinoff in which it was like, hey, Peg, it's my friend, Matt Perry. Oh, wait, sorry, <laughs> Matt LeBlanc. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, then they went off on their own adventure and I think they came back at the end of the bunnies. But yeah, it was, uh, they kept trying to make Matthew Perry work. Sorry, Matt LeBlanc. There's too many Matts. Uh, I I like Matt LeBlanc now. He's a real, uh, he's a very bearish man. And I, I approve of that change in his life. You know, like he's, I, you watch that Friends reunion. The women on the show are not allowed to age or gain weight or anything. It's just not, not how Hollywood works. But all three of the guys are like, I'm going to put on some weight. I don't care. I'm going to let my hair go gray. I'm going to get a paunch. I, I don't give a shit. At this point, they're basically character actors. So they can just do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matthew Perry just shows up. He's like, give me money. I'm Matthew Perry. He got me. Like, Schwimmer, <laughs> he went behind the camera, I think. Like, he directed some Simon Pegg movie about uh, marathon running, as I recall. Things called, like, Run, Fat Boy, Run is what hmm. I'm thinking of here. But, uh, mm. uh, Alex, you are a fan of... Ba- of wonderful bad 90s action films what what's your opinion on this the steven seagal out for justice oh boy out for justice is not is one i've seen but i've not seen in a long time i don't remember it ranking super high in the uh seagal sort of like tier list i lean that there are actually good steven seagal movies it's that both of them are called under siege yes <laughs> uh, and above the law is watchable in a very dumb way but there isn't much like you can you could laugh at the glimmer 
Superman, I guess, mm-hmm. but there really isn't much else out there for you. Well, and now he just is uh, to steal a joke from somebody else. He he looks like Peter Griffin in a costume. That's what <laughs> he looks like now. I remember at least Under Siege being pretty cool, but uh, though I mean, it's just it's just Die Hard on a on a boat. Really, is, right? is this the one pretty where much. he says, "I'll take you to the bank, Senator"? I the think, blood bank. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I, at least, hey, you know what? No action star these days would make a movie about like killing oil executives i don't think so i wanted to point out uh back to mary with children so top of the heap was one of three spinoffs okay of the show one was called three? radio free tremaine the other one was called enemies a parody of friends what none of these took off i think top of the heap was the one that actually got a series and uh yeah so uh, such a popular sitcom they kept trying to spin it off which did not happen to the simpsons although there were things in development like the crusty show yes. that we talked about in yeah. the past and uh yeah paul mccartney doing the hip thing of appearing on uh, MTV Unplugged and, and playing some wing songs. It, uh, it was a hit album that uh, that Christmas, I believe. But so 1991, how much Unplugged had happened at that point? Because I feel like the big ones had maybe not happened yet. Maybe like 10,000 Maniacs had happened at that point? Yeah, I think it's, I do believe it's early in it and, it, and maybe even it's a special that like got retroactively called Unplugged, but mm. the, I, the, I was trying to look like did, honestly, what I was doing was this week in Beatles history like did anything happen <laughs> in Beatles history that week and I got okay Paul McCartney did this <laughs> did, did did MTV unplug you idiot he was George the best Harrison one ate a sandwich <laughs> uh, I mean the big Beatles history this week was that he appeared on the Simpsons uh, and and we have a guest here who has his own connection to Beatles history that's it's Alex true. Navarro hello yes Hello. Yeah, so I used to work at Harmonix Music Systems, a video game developer that made the Rock Band series of games, uh, and they also made the Beatles Rock Band while I was there. And I will say just right now up at the top, I they never let me meet a Beatle that, as much as I wanted to. I was not there for any of the actual Beatle meetings, but I was sitting in the audience of that Microsoft press conference when Paul and Ringo walked out. Uh, that's pretty hearing them <laughs> call the... Uh, Paul calls himself an android, they I They made me an android. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite appearances Appearances of uh, celebrities at E3 because they couldn't even spit out their gum. They cared so little, and I loved every second of it. They 100% did not care. They, I, I do believe there may have been some kind of contractual obligation involved in them showing up and doing that. But you know what? From my, my understanding, they were not unpleasant about it. They just, mm. you know, they were there to show up vamp and go yeah they did their job i i mean being a beetle must be one of the craziest things to be like of anything of any type of person alive being a beetle has to be as crazy as it gets yeah i i think there's a story that uh dana gould talks about sometimes i think he met paul mccartney he explained it as if so when you meet paul mccartney uh, anyone who meets him it's the best day of their life and that's what he experiences every day <laughs> right right yeah i mean you then must alex know beatles music uh, inside and out uh, working on a game that like programs every part of Beatles into a video game you know it's I do know a lot about a lot more about the Beatles than I did when I before I started that job uh, and I will say that there are three very specific Beatles songs that I now know so well I can never ever listen to them again <laughs> because they were in the first demo of the game that we were showing mm. oh I see god that uh, that 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 sounds like torture yeah <laughs> yeah and then there was a very good uh, Gamescom appearance where every person that's it's in Germany for those who don't know it's a big game convention in Europe and uh, every single person wanted to sing Yellow Submarine 
every Ooh, single uh, one. Man. The Germans love Yellow Submarine. That's uh, man. I don't we would it. like to sing the Yellow Submarine, please. Hmm, Germans famously loving submarines. <laughs> <laughs> what's up with that? Uh, I guess uh, what was what's the Beatles' knowledge between Henry and I? Because with, for me, I somehow know a lot of facts about the Beatles through references and through having parents that were boomers, but they never tried to get me into the Beatles. Mm. They would just remark like, "Oh yeah, I had that album." Blah blah blah. Who cares? And when it was, uh, I think the year two thousand one, I bought the best Beatles album, which was one because it's got all the hits. All the best songs. And I think yeah. it's like the longest a CD can be. They just jam that CD full of hits. And I thought, for a second, I thought, maybe I'll be a cool guy who likes the Beatles. It didn't really go far beyond one, but I did buy the Beatles rock band and temporarily became a cool guy who got into the Beatles again for another like four or five months. <laughs> I grew up liking the Beatles just fine. I think I didn't know who they were when this episode aired when I was nine and my mom, like, or eight, and my mom explained the Beatles to me. She was a big Beatles fan growing up. I think she actually did like Ringo. I think hmm. Ringo was her favorite growing up too. Uh, and then over time, I got to recognize like, oh, this song in a uh, in this was a Beatles song. That song in this Muppets was a Beatles song. All this and and then you know in my teen years, I think it was rolling stone put out like 100 best albums ever and i believe they put revolver at number one and i thought like well this feels like a homework assignment i better just <laughs> listen to revolver and the less poppy beatles stuff and 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 then no i'm a very smart rock boy who who listens to all the good old stuff that rolling stone tells me to but, but I, I mean i like the beatles just fine i enjoy them i'm not i'm not a super hardcore person i'm not counting uh, and we're recording this before the peter jackson doc comes out but right. I, I i'll be watching that i I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm interested in it. And, you know, I'm for my part, I was more of a, like a Zeppelin guy as far as like classic rock stuff went when I was growing up. But I always liked the Beatles fine. My parents enjoyed them. You know, it's, it's it was more of it. Like you said, it was kind of an in the background thing. It was like, oh, if we have these records. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I think that a lot of people like to make a big show of, you know, they love the Beatles or they hate the Beatles. It's totally fine to just think the Beatles are a OK. They're, mm -hmm. they're they're a good band <laughs> i'm mostly a fan of mccartney's later stuff like the song he wrote for destiny that's his best song yeah. i think <laughs> that's a real high point for him <laughs> yeah i you know the the beatles are uh, at least for our generation and older like they're just so ever present in life as you live it that there's a bit in a john constantine hellraiser comic where that i always think about when i think about the beatles where john constantine he just all of a sudden just sings the start of yesterday and everybody sings a along with him and he just goes like why i can't remember like the last words a loved one said to me but i remember every fucking word of the song <laughs> yesterday because it's just with you so much the Beatles are inescapable too though also this episode is kind of doing the thing which I see viral every now and then these days or in the discourse of like these kids don't know the Beatles like mm -hmm. kids don't need to know the Beatles I, I I'm sorry they don't I much prefer seeing that the mountain goats are going viral on TikTok <laughs> these days than than I want the kids to know the Beatles well, in 1991 was very much the era of the entertainment we were consuming was, you know, guided by people that were probably about 20 to 30 years older than us. And they were very adamant about us liking their pop culture. Whereas mm. these days, I feel like that is much less the thing. Well, so we uh, are forcing Ghostbusters on these. Yes, children, though, they must right? know how it's a serious movie that we uh, it's, it's meant to make us cry like yes. it's meant to evoke emotion. So the Beatles broke up um, in 69, right? Uh, yes. yes. So yeah. that was only 22 years before this episode. So that'd be like 
like if the band featured now broke up in what like 99 yeah i guess it's yeah. like uh, it uh, pinkerton's older than uh, now than sergeant pepper was when this episode aired now so yeah just to put, <laughs> put the time in perspective i, I wrote rivers cuomo a letter <laughs> he, he wrote a song about it and he jer- uh, jerking off to it <laughs> please matt sharp is the dreamy one yeah exactly yes. yeah i know hey we're the the you're, you, this is a pro sharp anti yes. podcast here but, i agree <laughs> but alex do you recall watching this when it was new i do this was definitely the era like the first season i watched intermittently and knew i liked it but i just wasn't watching as much primetime television at that point the second season was the first one i watched like every week and i do remember watching this episode did you have to turn to your parents and ask them like you know who is this ringo star guy like re- like really who is this guy no i i knew i mean I, I had not listened to a ton of beatles at that point but i knew my mom's first husband was uh, before she met my dad was uh the original head photographer for rolling stone mm. so at that like basically i was indoctrinated into classic rock like from the moment i was born like mm. there was just an association there and like i said they own a lot of records you know and my, it, it wasn't like a forced education it was more of just like i don't know what these bands are that they own i want to hear this music and that was kind of how i became familiar with them you know the classic it wasn't the beatles as much in my childhood it really was the the classic rock band i heard the most was queen uh mm. thanks in no small part to wayne's world but after seeing wayne's world i like got the queen's greatest hits album the double cd for christmas and listened to it like in a loop over and over again i heard very little beatles growing up in fact when i got that one cd in 2001 i was surprised by the amount of beatles songs i didn't know like i knew i want to hold your hand mm-hmm. that was kind of it because my stepdad listened to the classic rock station and i think the beatles was considered too old because classic rock in the 90s was 70s stuff mm. right yeah maybe you got a little bit of late 60s stuff in there but it's at that point you're based basically talking oldies. Mm-hmm. I also knew the Beatles very well because I was addicted to classic uh, like oldie stations as a teen, as a 10 year old. Like I listened to this one station all the time growing up. It was what was on when my mom dro- drove us to school and drop us off. And every day they would say like, happy birthday to people. And they would play the Beatles birthday song. Say it's your birthday. If I hear that song, I just think about driving to school. You like, know what? I didn't know the Beatles wrote that until like I was surprisingly old because I was walking with a friend through Target and one of those little like animated frogs went off and it plays the birthday song and I was like I hate that song <laughs> my friend said the Beatles wrote that and I, I did not believe him until we got home and got in front of a computer one well, and the Simpsons is a show that loves the Beatles probably did hasten my interest in the Beatles because this just begins it they had every living Beatle they could on the show they've done multi in the classic era they did more than one episode that is about Beatlemania, Beatles side stuff and fandom like so much of it there's a funny bit on the fourth season season five it aired but for production uh the b sharps episode where hank azari on the commentary says i always remember this as a dave merkin one because he the next showrunner after you guys was also a beatles fanatic mm-hmm. <laughs> and these beatles fanatics who make their own show of course one of their plans is going to be can I meet a beetle through doing this? Can I meet one of those beetles? And all, they pulled it off for, for all three living ones at the time of the show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In fact, I think they said they wanted to record extra lines for Ringo so they could have a scene with all the Beatles together once they got Paul and George yeah. on different episodes. But that, obviously that never happened. And did they ever get Yoko on the show? I don't think they did. I don't think you so. Know, I Honestly, if I'm Yoko, I would have been like, hey, 
you guys are a bit mean to me. You are you are saying I destroyed the band. <laughs> yeah, but you know, compared to some of the vitriol that I think was actually thrown at her, like the bit with Barney is maybe pretty softball comparatively. She's yeah, uh, she's been through quite a lot. That's true. Mm-hmm. And Alex, we had been talking off mic about this, but you said you have you have strong Ringo Starr opinions, and I, I'd like to hear them. My strong Ringo Starr opinions are that I I think people give him a lot of undue shit. I agree that he is certainly not the flashiest drummer out there, but he is one of those drummers that I think is just very good at figuring out what the music needs and doing exactly that. Mm -hmm. He is kind of rock solid at the tempo. He is not, like I said, he doesn't do a lot of flashy fills. He isn't out there like showing you all his, uh, his polyrhythms and whatnot. He's just there to get the song from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, there's absolutely a place for that in rock music you know like there's absolutely room for your crazy prog drummers and then there's room for a guy who just loves doo-wop and classic you know like uh blues music and just does that shit and uh, i i forgot to mention too yes alex you you are also a professional drummer so you have real professional drummer insight into ringo which definitely the the joke i'd always heard among beatles fans is like uh what well, is the saying that ringo's not even the best drummer in the beatles Yes, yeah. there's a quote that was attributed to John Lennon that I think actually isn't something he said. But, you know, like many other quotes, it became true just by virtue of how much it got spread around. Mm. Ever, as far as I can tell, just from reading up on the history, everyone seemed to love Ringo. Like, <laughs> no, I don't think anyone really had an unkind word to say about Ringo. Like, he had a couple of struggles in the studio early on, but it was just because he was so different from Pete mm. Best. Mm. And the one time I think they recorded drums without him after that was in the brief period where he quit the band before they... <laughs> They all broke up because like back in the ussr that recording is paul i think playing drums huh. uh you know you look at the post beatles stuff like paul and john were so like cruel to each other and not especially john like ringo did seem to just be the fun one of just like hey, him and george are both just you know uh trying to say bangladesh together they're not they're not uh, sni- taking snipes at each other yeah like ringo like here's the thing if you didn't like ringo octopus's garden would never happen like (laughs) that is like you don't let your drummer sing his happy little song about an octopus (laughs) under the sea unless you really like that guy yeah Uh. i just remember there is a mega diss on ringo in sideshow bob roberts where uh they're saying sideshow bob is uh the ringo to bertrabald barlow's rest of the beatles that's right yes right right up there with uh you were you were ronnie to his nancy sunny to his share ringo to his rest of the beatles exactly yes that's a different guy's writing it i guess and that that sting at ringo they don't remember that they owe ringo for being their first beetle oh you know what i want to compliment alex on the mic here though too i just want to say congrats on all of the next lander stuff you guys are killing it definitely yeah we oh, thank you so much we're so happy for you guys there yeah yeah it's been a wild ride these last several months but uh it turns out getting out there and doing it for yourself can be pretty rewarding mm-hmm. i think a rising patreon tide lifts all ships so everyone get on patreon Yep. Sign Everyone. up. Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Cancel your Netflix subscription. That'll cover at least three Patreon five exactly. month things right there. <laughs> uh, and uh, and yeah, you know my my mom loves Ringo so much that more than once she has seen Ringo's All Star Band on tour. Wow. Which is wow. Yeah. Which is like you know a perfect touring supergroup of like yeah it's every the remaining living people who made made music in the sixties basically all just come together in a group and play music with Ringo Starr on stage.
stage. And, you know, it sounds like a good time. If 20 years from now, Rivers Cuomo gets together with like people from Nirvana, like Dave Grohl, Rivers Cuomo, and so on. I thought he's kind of doing that already on cruise ships. No, now it's a, it's the Weezer Santa Cruz. You oh, know? Okay. And they can all sing covers together of 80 songs. Lit is there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was able to at least count on my mom's knowledge as a kid watching this. And she also told me like, oh, you know, what's a great song? Uh, Rocky Raccoon. Listen to that hmm. one. And like, I remember she bought the White Album just to play that for us. And also because I was so confused by the number eight belch, number eight belch joke. My mom had to like buy up in this pre-internet time. She bought the White Album to play number nine for me so I could finally get this joke. By the time I heard that, I could not take it seriously though just because of the simpsons joke <laughs> i mean it is bad. i don't think i would be able to take it seriously even if i had never seen the simpsons joke it's just a weird thing yeah. these days i'm feeling like george harrison's my favorite beetle mm. i feel like saying i i like his solo stuff a lot it's really good i think i think george for me is probably like the most just well-rounded talented one like you know he's got great solo material the songs he wrote for the Beatles specifically are some of my favorites so again, Here Comes the Sun is one of those that I can just never listen to again because no. the demo ru- ruined it for me. But oh, that's so sad. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think I think George is, is probably my favorite. The Simpsons will be right back. Homer Simpson, Don't. a sight to behold. I'm a big fat pig. Now this overweight wonder is going on a diet. We've got rice cakes for you. Hey, I've been setting my drinks on these things. But is the world ready Woo-hoo! for a healthy Homer? Woohoo! Hey, what gives? These donuts are piling up. Yeah, Homer Simpson went on a diet. Oh my God. And I just bought a boat. The Simpsons. Tonight at 7, followed by Coach at 7.30 on Fox 29. Everybody, welcome to the break of the Beatles podcast we foolishly recorded before the Get Back documentary came out. A big thank you to our gear of a guest, Alex Navarro from the Next Lander Game Group. Everybody should follow their stuff that they do on YouTube, on Twitch, their Patreon, all that stuff. Check out Next Lander and Alex Navarro, always an awesome dude. And if you enjoy this podcast, you should know that it's a listener-supported one that's only possible thanks to the people at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. Not only do you support us doing this as our full-time jobs, but you also get to hear every episode of Talking Simpsons a week early and ad-free. You can hear next week's awesome episode right now. And the same goes for our What A Cartoon podcast. Plus, we have a ton of exclusive podcasts you only get to hear at patreon.com slash talking simpsons for five bucks a month. Every month we cover Futurama, a different episode. We're deep into season three. Starting in January, each month we're going to be doing Talk King of the Hill, where we cover King of the Hill starting in the middle of season two. And in the back catalog, you've got all the previous episodes of Futurama, King of the Hill, and also us covering every episode in podcast form for Mission Hill and The Critic and our 10 favorite episodes of Batman, the animated series that you can hear right now, premiering every Friday till the end of 2021. So much cool stuff to see. Go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons to see it all.
But if you want something as fancy as tea and crumpets of a podcast, you should go to the premium level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. For 10 bucks a month, you get all that $5 stuff I just talked about. But then you get to hear me and Bob talk for over four hours at a time about an animated feature film, Super D Duper In Depth. That's the What A Cartoon Movie podcast each month on patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Last month we covered Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the 1964 stop motion classic. This month we're covering Satoshi Kon's masterpiece, Millennium Actress, Super Duper In Depth in the back catalog. Over three years, that's 200 hours plus of podcasts. Just of What A Cartoon Movie you get at that $10 level. Covering animation is varied as Beavis and Butthead to America to Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse to Akira, Kiki's Delivery Service, a goofy movie, and so, so much more. Sign up at that $10 level to check it all out. One more time, that's at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. So it's time to talk about the writer for this episode, Brian K. Roberts, his only credited Simpsons episode. You might be asking, where did Brian Roberts come from? Well, he was already working on the show at the time because he was dialogue editor on The Simpsons from the very first episode all the way up through Lisa's Pony. His job is basically what it sounds like, assembling the recorded dialogue into an episode length track, although it sounds like based on the commentary, he did video editing as well. Early in the series, they could not afford retakes, which is why there's a lot of clumsy ADR and a lot of clumsy video editing of footage to make mouths move a certain way, which is why it's going to be very hard to do an HD transfer of the series if one ever happens, because so many elements are just trapped as a video edit. They're replayed video edits from a different thing. They aren't cells. They're not full retakes. Like on the season one uh, Telltale Head, you identified a thing I never noticed, but now I can't unsee of just like they paused Apu, like Apu is like a still frame right. as other characters move around. Something was wrong with the scene so they just froze it on, yeah. on the VHS tape or whatever they were using at the time. Yeah. I, I love hearing Roberts on the commentary. Just It makes me want them to have on their other sound editors who mm-hmm. can just tell their side of the story. There are, there are fun stories. I think Roberts was saying how they were so unknown at Fox they had to pay for their own food at the commentary because no one <laughs> believed them that The Simpsons was its own show. They're like, oh yeah, the Tracy Allman thing, whatever. You still need to pay. Yeah, this uh, you can't get this turkey sandwich for free. <laughs> and we ate the Fox commentary, by the way. That's our one brush with our brush with greatness. That was that was. That's I had it. a very good tuna melt made by a very friendly guy. Yeah, I had a good. I think uh, roast beef sandwich, tasty stuff. What a we hung on that lot as long as we could. Yeah, was, no one was stopping us. Actually, we had to ask someone how to leave. That's like, true. Where do we go? We did kind of exhaust everything you could do there. Yeah, but I mean, hey, I'll always re- that uh, one of the greatest days ever. And then right before everything shut down. Yes, yeah. it was a fun way to celebrate the world we used to know so not many other writing credits uh this is very strange on imdb he's also credited on imdb he's also credited with writing a segment for a playboy vhs tape i'm guessing it's just someone with his name i don't think he wrote a segment called the wet dream i got yes i i gotta think that's just an i imdb goof him up yeah Yeah. someone else's name brian roberts Mm. probably not him so uh he's also one of his few like creative creative credits that's you know he worked on something he created something he wrote something he is one of three creators of the 2014 canadian sitcom spun out 
which lasted two seasons and starred none other than Dave Foley. What? Wow. Yes. I didn't know this. Man. Canada makes TV shows, and uh, lots of them are not shown here outside of Schitt's Creek. Well, I mean, when you watch them, you have to see scenes of like, you know, the the whatever percentage of Canadian content is forced upon it to mm -hmm. make it uh, get, you know, subsidized by the government. So Kids in the Hall happened. Yep. Speaking of Dave Foley. So there's an interesting, if sad story about this show. Ooh. The second season was completely filmed, and then further production was put on hiatus, and the airing of the shows was put on hiatus because one of the stars was hit with voyeurism charges because he put a hidden camera in both a house and a condo he was renting to people. So... <gasps> Before wow. they could show even the second season, they were like, this guy is a big creep. No one likes him anymore. We're not sure if the show will go on. We don't know if people want to watch the show. So that put show was put on hiatus. And during the hiatus, Dave Foley went to work on Dr. Ken, which is what killed Spun Out. Dave Foley well, was not coming back to Canadian no. sitcoms. <laughs> yeah, he's made, once he's got on another American sitcom, uh, the, the money uh, probably comes in a bit faster. <laughs> so uh, And, oh, and the, unlike on a Canadian production, they keep the secrets of their stars a little bit better. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So uh, he started in post-production editing audio and video, Brian K. Roberts did, but he soon rose to the rank of director, which is what he's really known for today. So it'd be very tedious if I named all the sitcoms he's directed on, but here are just a few of the American ones. The George Carlin Show, Teen Angel, mm. The Hewleys, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, The Drew Carey Show, and Everybody Loves Raymond. In the mid-aughts, he moved to Canada and now directs mostly Canadian shows, and I've never heard of any of them. <laughs> and in his biography, he is credited with directing uh, 350 US television episodes and 200 canadian ones wow so he's a canadian transplant just like you plan to be Bob. yes it's wow. the smart move do it if you can it's very very hard even if you got a wife waiting for you over there i can speak from experience but uh, yeah uh my my guess is he didn't say how he was allowed to write this or what the process was as to getting the script approved but my guess was it's the end of the season everyone is very tired they're working the longest hours they ever work in this time period mm -hmm. and they just are desperate for any idea brian k roberts a below the line guy has a script he's trying to break into the entertainment industry in a bigger way mm -hmm. they're like this this will do well and also as as we heard from uh, in the ken levine bit of history uh many episodes back that he was very well established but took it for like all the free perks and and being like oh i can do all the baseball bullshit i want but most of their other friends would not write on this non-WGA cheap cartoon show. Yeah. And so even though, you know, Sam Simon and James L. Brooks know everybody in Hollywood, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to take a freelance script for like an easy payday. I think Ken Levine said they were paying, uh, Fox was paying Saturday morning prices. They weren't mm -hmm. paying sitcom prices. Yeah, which, you know, if you're the sound editor on it, that that definitely sounds like they, they decided like, ah, this guy, this is a lot of money to this guy. But it's uh, interesting that Brian Roberts didn't use this to springboard himself into writing more. Yeah. He didn't write for a long time, and he just would go off to uh, direct and stuff. So, I mean, I think it was just a way to have some creative impact on the show, and he was the guy who got Ringo into the production. So. Well, and, and just hearing the George Carlin show thing, like that was one of his earliest director deals. That tells me Sam Simon liked this guy. Yeah, you know? and so did Al Jean and Mike Reese. Yeah, so a guy people like, they opened doors for him and then he you know cracked the door open like all right i i'm i guess i'm a director of stuff you know he, sitcom directors 
as the there's an old saying in hollywood bob on films the director fires the writer on tv the writer fires the director mm-hmm. a tv director especially in the sitcom context is not like a movie director they are not as prestigious but they are needed and very important on set you know they get the shit done uh, and so I, the fact that he's that prolific tells you that like well he can make this stuff like he's he's good at it and i think people only really know the name of maybe one uh, sitcom director larry charles yeah because yeah. he also does a lot of writing or did a lot of writing yeah he was a uh, larry Char- uh and uh so you couldn't think of his name oh no, all right jim i almost thought of it but jim burroughs that's there you go there you yeah. go not jim brooks yeah jim burroughs he's well because he's known as like the guy who he directs your pilot and maybe your first five or six episodes to get the machine working in the actual like live action filming and then go away like most famously he did that for friends like the friends all came together under burrows and then he's like well my like mary poppins he just flits away like my job (laughs) is done and this story on the news radio commentaries are them saying like jim burroughs wanted to keep working with us he he worked on every other nbc show for like six months and then left but he kept coming back to us because he liked us on news radio like what jerry the dentist from the bob newhart shows i know he directed a ton of mm. stuff too but, but still you don't know his name i don't See? i don't <laughs> but yeah like uh, i think this was definitely them giving an opportunity which really that's what these freelance scripts should be we complained in like season 10 or whatever they just handed it to like a former head writer of of uh, David Letterman, like yeah, look, like that's not who should be kidding. And these. in late Scully years, Al Jean just takes all those freelancer spots. I know <laughs> what the heck, like that. It seems to be much better now that, like you know, say like our po- our Simpsons podcast pal Julia Prescott, she gets one of those freelancer positions instead of somebody's friend from Harvard. Yes, you know. Uh, so, but in this case, doesn't uh, I didn't hear Harvard mentioned in there? So seemingly no. he's not a Harvard chum either. Yeah. So uh, that is the interesting story behind brian k roberts again uh, not really a writer but going on to be a like a major sitcom director for a bunch of things you have really heard of mm-hmm. well other than the writer too i i did find uh, the creation of this episode was actually a pitch from al and mike uh, gina reese on this uh that uh, this is from mike reese's book about where the idea came from quote Al and I once pitched a germ of an idea. Marge takes an art class and churns out depressing Edvard Munch-like paintings. And the family realizes she's secretly unhappy. From that nugget, Jim instantly spun out the plot, Jim Brooks, instantly spun out the plot of Brush with Greatness in which Marge is commissioned to paint Mr. Burns' portrait. So uh, Reese was using it as an example of how great of a writer James L. Brooks was that they started with this little idea of, oh, marge is secretly a painter and he grew it from there but i believe it was the writer brian roberts who brought in the ringo idea mm-hmm. into it i think and we'll talk more about it but once they knew they had ringo they expanded his role immensely yes. uh, i think at first he was just supposed to be appear in a uh, dream sequence uh when had like maybe one or two lines but then once they found out they had him they gave him a few scenes they took real advantage of ringo honestly yeah. i think they're like <laughs> hey you already said yes you're in the you're here right now when he saw the changes matt Groening said that Ringo quote uh, he said uh, it's a bloody novel <laughs> so uh, by the uh, way lots of bad Beals impressions throughout this podcast so get ready for those Ringo might be the funniest one to imitate yeah I, I mean think. I'm just doing Wacko Warner really that, yes yeah that's true <laughs> though I, I also like Paul's like well you know it's like this and then like uh, the kind of like faux bashfulness of his uh, way of talking 
Yeah, I feel like George is the only one that you can't really do like a good comedy impression of. Like he's just a normal guy, mm-hmm. you know. Like everyone else, at least there's something you can do with that Liverpudlian accent. <laughs> I, you know, I think another positive with Harrison about why what I like about him, there'd be no like Life of Brian or With Nail and I and all these other films because he started a production company to make those movies, and ultimately, apparently, he got like ripped off and lost a ton of money out mm. of it. But but who cares? But like, he's a Beatle. He'll yeah. make it back. He made. He's like, oh, I lost six million dollars, and then the next day, Apple <laughs> check comes. Yeah, as in. I say, wait a day. Yeah, <laughs> take a nap. Uh, but this this episode begins uh, with a really great joke that, I, as a child, I did not appreciate. But just the joke about the shameless promotion of people doing shows from a theme park. I love it so so much. Just uh, like the shoddiness of it, that it's just like, and then Krusty just describing everything they did. I uh, actually, I'll play the clip here. You know, today's the last day of our special week on location at fabulous Mount Splashmore. And I just want to say, the people here have been super to me in Sideshow Mel. The food, the grog, oh, they threw us a brunch yesterday with fresh fruit and the most delicious melon. Oh, yay, till we plots. And of course, the thing I'm going to miss most is those special, special Mount Splashmore water slides. God bless them. So much fun. <laughs> so many memories. Give me a minute. It has been a great week, hasn't it, Lise? I hope all you kids come out this weekend and really pack this place just to show them how grateful I am. I told them you would. Don't make me a liar. <laughs> okay, kids, it's time to... Cruise along with Rusty! Yeah! I want to go to Mount Fastmore. Take me, take me, take me, take me now! Now, 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 now! This is a rather shameless promotion. Hey, it worked on me. Me too. Oh, I love every second of that <laughs> so much. As a little kid, I didn't realize like, oh, the Full House characters don't just go to Disney World spontaneously. That was like that. That, that was a paid promotion. It's an edict from on high. Uh, they go there. Yeah. And so but this the idea of like the local clown goes to the local amusement park and just talks about like, oh, yeah, that, I love all of these special water slides and then how how brutally like inelegantly <laughs> it moves into just demanding yeah. you must go there i like the one verse of the song that just now 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 <laughs> yes, yeah. uh and and jim reardon and his team this is one of my favorite animations this whole season too like the way crusty like eyes closed screaming into the mic and just going now 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 just like uh, i think they were doing like a jim morrison kind of I think, uh, pose I think there right. yeah yeah <laughs> God. Uh, and and I also love, you know, being a child in the 80s was knowing that something was an advertisement and then just accepting it. It's just like, well, it worked on me. Me too. Like, this, you know, this commercial for Ghostbusters or Sonic the Hedgehog, like, it, it worked on me. <laughs> now, I do wonder how many kids actually had that healthy love of water slides because I feel like there are very specific regions of the U.S. where, like, yes, there was a water park everyone went to and then there were wide swaths where there ain't shit. Mm, you know, I... There were water parks in my area but i actually unlike homer i did not feel certainly proud of my body and Mm. would not take a shirt off so as a kid i wasn't the most big fan of water slides on top of that i think this episode made me scared about (laughs) uh accidents and water slides so yeah i love water parks i love water slides i went to them a 
ton as a kid. I went to them again when I was maybe like 26 was the last time. Now I'm worried my inner ear has changed too much. Mm. I mean, have you ever gotten on like a swing set in your 30s? <laughs> It'll mess you uh, up. Yes. Yeah. It so doesn't I, feel right. You're yeah. right. So I'm just concerned if I were to go back, I wouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> also, the just the thing I could never really accept of like, I know there's lots of pee here. Like, this isn't clean oh, yeah. water. Like, you just have to... There's really no getting around that. Yeah. yeah. You, it's, a, it's a fact you must accept if you're going to be in a water park. But I guess, too, the water parks in my childhood, they were adjacent to, like, mini golf and an arcade, which I would always go, like, if I'm going to spend... If I'm going to convince my parents to pay for one thing, it's not going to be a water park out of those things and probably this episode made me scared of them i think too there's another bit in here that until frankiac i never got because crusty garbles his words so much when he says oh and they threw us brunch yesterday with fresh fruit and the most delicious melon Ooh, we ate till we plotsed but that always sounded to me like ooey, ooh, gooey, ooey plots, or ooh, like it sounded it like just, nonsense to me. And uh, yeah, just like Jacques, he talks about the presence of melon at brunch. <laughs> yes, these these Simpsons writers love melon at brunch, but I guess now you know recognizing it as the word plots this would be the first time they have written crusty as jewish wouldn't it hmm. i think uh definitely in in his history in uh, crusty gets busted they don't mention anything about rabbis or any of that and he's selling pork products as well if i recall correctly he's not really been in season two that much yeah pretty light other than itchy and scratchy and mark that's really it yeah but even then he's like a secondary party to it it is not the crusty they wouldn't do a crusty sequel episode until season three really yeah well how long after this do they uh they do the rabbi reveal uh oh that's early season three so not too long yeah okay so yeah. they're planting the seeds here <laughs> i i think it's so sweet too that bart and lisa normally so contentious they're bonding over this outright commercial just like <laughs> it has been a great week holding hands it? yeah yes uh but yeah so they follow their orders they then uh talk about filler in this episode mm -hmm. for 30 whole seconds i'm not gonna play it on here but for 30 whole seconds they repeat will you take us to mount splashmore but castlinetta's delivery of like no no like it's increasing <laughs> no it is really great I, I do like the sequel to this joke more in bart of darkness where bart and lisa demonstrate they will be doing this yes. if the transaction does not take place and homer <laughs> in a very business-like way agrees just like all right we'll do this well, let's okay. have chocolate milk great with the, the ceremonial adding of chocolate to milk exactly <laughs> i it's great by season six they can just go like look you know we could do this where let's not let's not waste your time but, let's not belabor it but i think reardon and his team found a lot of very fun drawings and places to put them in for this i i think my favorite is homer hearing them while he's showering and he's just kind of covering up like even now go away <laughs> no and marge is kind of tickled by it at the end mm -hmm. when they're bugging him in bed <laughs> yeah she's like oh my my kids like but yeah i guess the episode after this or two episodes after this and uh, three men in a comic book homer does it to bart because he's just like look i know this i know this usually works and i just do it but we both know i'm not giving you a hundred bucks uh i would guess this trip though had to cost a hundred bucks mm -hmm. i think yeah i'm gonna say those tickets were probably minimum 20th i'm gonna say probably 35 to 40 dollars a person mm -hmm. then plus the gas there too mm -hmm. you know plus parking uh, oh god the part that's where they really get hey, you the free uh, mm -hmm. two-hour parking <laughs> they homer then asked them the outright thing of like if i stop this if you if i say yes will you stop bugging me they're like yeah of course 
So, and he agrees. Cut to Homer getting ready. They say on the commentary, they really regretted writing in the script. Homer will have a farmer's tan the entire uh, act one because it mm-hmm. it looks weird. For me as a kid, first viewing, it read to me that Homer was wearing a shirt, mm. not that he was uh, not tan. Yeah, and then you see him with his shirt off a lot in this episode, and he still retains that. So it's not Mm. just an act one. And there's something I think that's very subtle about his swimsuit. I think it's supposed to be a parody of the classic uh, smiley face, the yellow smiley Mm -hmm. face, which might indicate the last time you put on that swimsuit was the 70s. Ah, okay. The, The smiley face turning into a frown, that's a lame joke, I think but the context of that of like yeah that's why it fits so badly because homer has gained all this weight since he was in high school but won't admit it and so he's like yep the old bathing suit still fits you know a lot of this uh, act one is about breaking down homer's denial about his being overweight like he doesn't want to believe it which uh, you know this episode hit me in a lot of ways too because i i have uh, been on a weight loss journey the last like uh, pretty much all of covid and when i got under 239 as homer does in this i felt very good i'm like finally i'm back to homer's <laughs> homer's good weight and i i'm still going down healthy and healthy but i'm just saying that this this episode especially was getting to me as uh, as homer's weight loss problems i mean look there's there are plenty of episodes of the simpsons where homer homer fat is the joke that's mm-hmm. it you know like and sometimes they are very mean about it and sometimes you know they they find an angle that is not just pointing and laughing at how big homer is and i feel like they kind of thread the needle on this one like they're walking a, a close line of like look at how giant homer is and also we are trying to like uplift him a little bit and marge <laughs> is trying to uplift him a little bit but you know that's a t- it's a tough one it's a tough road to hoe these days because i feel like you know this is of, of an era when you just kind of made fat jokes and that was it mm-hmm. one you know they're only gonna up it more like homer becomes such a food monster uh in the next seasons like he's at this point he's just like i'm a guy who likes pork chops in season three he's just like he eats anything if you'd leave it alone soap <laughs> yes yeah mm-hmm. i also the way marge says leaves little to the imagination implies that like oh they they can see homer's genitals through his, this his doodle if you will his do yes his, or genitalia <laughs> I also I get a good laugh at Lisa's like your ears broke like <laughs> somehow uh, without the uh, the shirt uh, his his fat is just roaming it just yes. he's bigger than ever without a shirt that's now. true Homer is not a guy who wears an undershirt most days you know so that's why the farmer's tan also seems weird he's always wearing his short sleeves so if he's gonna have a farmer's tan it should be that not not an undershirt uh, it used to be called something else we don't use that word anymore <laughs> it's an undershirt they then head to the theme park their first of many 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 theme park mm-hmm. jokes on this from the recurrence of it on the show the writers love going to theme parks in in california and also they struggle with their weight because they have free food all day in a boring writer's room and uh, the, this one though the sign gag of like this park is not copless so please don't go topless a cute sign and i i think the the drawing on it makes it funniest i think also if you're somebody who's looking out for springfield freaks there's a lot in this theme park like there's yeah. a lot of weird characters in here <laughs> the homer's odyssey background mutants make a brief return in this episode because they have to draw so many people yeah and all in bathing suits so they can't reuse previous crowd designs they had done it has to be all new people in bathing suits so uh it breaks a lot of the rules that matt Green is like hey the character can't have lisa hair or whatever if you look close you're like it's full of freaks and i love that i 
I miss these rough edges <laughs> like you see here. I feel like I saw at least one from behind shot that I think was old Marge reused, yeah. like her her down hair, blue hair. For sure, yeah. I, I mean, also, if you just draw, uh, if you're just like, well, I'm drawing a young woman, I guess that it's going to look like Marge on some level, too. Just like if you're going to draw any guy with brush hair, like it's Bart, you know, it just becomes yeah. adult Bart, which is a rule like Graining hates that. He really hates when anybody has Bart or Lisa hair. <laughs> The first ride we see also seems intended to drown people. It's just a night, like a, just a ninety degree, just drop, just like. Why, why the car is there is a mystery because you <laughs> yeah. you start in a car then you just fall into the water. I I did just recently go to a water park adjacent park. I went to Great Adventure in uh, in Sa- Sa- no, no, San Jose. I San yeah, and at that there was a ride there that was basically like as stripped down as a log for loom ride is. It's like li- like no theming no nothing like the thing the boat doesn't even look like it's based on anything it's like you get in this boat it will lift you up around and down and then you get wet and it's over Hmm. no one will talk to you there will be no music no colorful bears to sing to you no No, it's just uh, that's what this ride reminded me of just the most stripped down like okay you felt that you went down an incline and water splashed on you get off that needs to happen to another person get out (laughs) get out of here Uh, and of course it's run by a a rowdy teen of course which uh, filled me with so much like confidence of like boy this this 19 year old running this machine there they all know what they're doing <laughs> uh, th- this was after i just saw that news story about the guy who saved all that money by eating two meals a day at great at uh oh. at that place because they have a meal plan of like if you pay 150 bucks a year you get two meals a day there and so the guy just he worked at a silicon valley place and instead of going to lunch or dinner he drove to a theme park and ate a corn dog wow yep and he bought Can't a house be with good them. for the body though no he took years off his life but he showed them <laughs> it's true yes he said you know eventually it did impact my weight it did he said especially once dip and dots were also allowed in the meal plan he said oh god <laughs> everybody separates the bo- the lisa and bart see the sign for h2 whoa which i love the the graphic design on that i love that the design of h2o <laughs> one is great looking i like the sales pitch where you learn what water is really made of <laughs> That is great. That's a great tagline. They see it is a long MC Escher style line that uh, circles around upon itself, which is a cute drawing. They said they based that on Disneyland lines where you think you're at the front of the line, but then you go past the turnstile and that's where the line begins. Yeah. They have the sneakiest of line things there. Mm-hmm. I I mean, the, the new Rise of the Resistance is one of the most like amazing line trickery there ever is. You don't know where the ride is. Yes. Am, am I... Uh, multiple times in it, I was like, am I still in a line or is this a ride now did this become the ride <laughs> actually space mountain is like that too you don't know where you're going or when the roller coaster will appear yeah well and like the water parks are the worst about this though because like a lot of the biggest slides you got to walk up those stairs too and that's mm. a whole line on top of that so like i remember the the water park i used to go to which was a uh, water country usa in williamsburg virginia they had a couple of giant slides and those lines were probably a minimum of 45 minutes to an hour if 
not longer. Uh, and and unlike it, Disneyland, you have to wait there wearing just your swim trunks. Like, oh yeah, you're <laughs> damp as hell. <laughs> Bare feet on the ground, uh, certainly getting some fungus in there. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, why again. These are all the thoughts I had of like, well, yeah, my ma- mom and dad. I don't want to go to a. <laughs> I don't want to go to a water slide place. <laughs> Bart and Lisa, they're ready for it. They uh, they then cut the line with very smart uh, acting of Lisa being a lost kid. Uh, Yardley does a really good job acting of of playing lisa playing a lost kid mm-hmm. it's it's really good yeah this is one of those rare instances where it feels like bart and lisa are in perfect sync for everything they want to do like they are an actual team a duo throughout this yeah you know they they don't battle with each other in any of this one they when they're helping homer or making fun of homer together they're all kind of in agreement on it no the competition is gone for this episode then we get a quick joke of marge taking maggie to the the baby pool which marge is scared that uh, she'll go into the two inch not shot the deep end <laughs> water changed hourly uh, uh, i think this is the jo- I, I love playing this every time you guys bring me on i think this is the joke they cut from the syndicated episode because uh, i i always go back and i watch these off the the dvds when we do these and so it's just like <laughs> okay what's the joke i don't remember and that's the one <laughs> it's it's kind of weak but it's just like well what is marge doing well here's a joke yeah, yeah. Marge, here's Maggie in this episode once. Marge and Maggie usually first on that syndication chopping block. Yeah, I, I, I had a good chuckle at just them imagining like, okay, Marge puts her hair under a swim cap. What does that look like? And it impossibly mm-hmm. contracts into her head, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, somehow I guess her hair comes back out uh, when she takes it off. It must just sproing back into shape. There's definitely some sticks holding that hair up somewhere in there. <laughs> There's an armature inside. <laughs> well, I mean, she already has that jar in there 24-7, you know, the money jar. Then Homer goes to H2O while eating a corn dog, showing, you know, the problems he already has. <laughs> I-, I like when to hell with this was a yes. brief Homer oh. catchphrase. I think we heard that in Bar vs. Thanksgiving when he was trying to start the fire. Yes, was that yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, God. I love to hell with it. I've said it so many times. <laughs> it's such a great just exclamation. <laughs> Though also like corn dog, my favorite walking around thing in Disneyland. Like mm. if I can get that red wagon corn dog, it's like, oh, am I going to have to be waiting in line for Space Mountain or the Big Thunder uh, Railroad? Then it's time. It's corn dog time. Does it cost fifteen dollars? Yes, <laughs> but you can't get a corn dog anywhere else in the uh, premises. Hey, it's the best fifteen dollar corn dog I ever had. Also, another thing that breaks the rules in this when Homer declares himself line inspector and shoves past everybody, uh, an old lady says, "God bless that man." Very clearly, Yardley Smith. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that's a thing they also don't do. They're like after after a few times, like ah, Yardley and Nancy, they can't do uh, non children voices, and Yardley is really just not allowed to do anybody that isn't no. Lisa. <laughs> I I like the board teen running this ride because uh, I haven't been in one of these in a while, but I just love the go mm. go straight ahead mm. sunglasses go. on yeah uh there's a, there's a checked out exactly they just have to remember every five seconds just say go mm. and then uh there's a sign gag in the background that's not even a gag it just says stop if you have athlete's foot impetigo or a yeast infection maybe the only mention of a yeast infection on the simpsons might be yuck man uh and so uh the kids go in first part in lisa and uh yes if you were a gamer in uh in the the, around the same time or uh two years later in virtual bart four years later four years later that's how long they took really yeah i thought uh 95 man i thought i remembered it as a 93 game that's virtual bart yes this uh was that was uh 
look, I don't like Virtual Bart like any other Simpsons game from that time. They're all bad. Mm -hmm. But I, as a child, at least appreciated when they took something from the show Mm -hmm. and made it a level. It was 94. I apologize. Uh, But yeah, that the Virtual Bart stage, uh, you basically go down the Mount Splashmore water slide, but you have to remember the path because there are dead ends that kill you instantly. So it was just like you going through it, memorizing which way you're supposed to go until you actually find the end. Man, we booted up some of those Simpsons games on one of the earlier Next Lander streams. And I just, it was a fun tour through like my childhood of hating those games and just (laughs) like being instantly disappointed the second I started playing any of them. It it really prepared you for disappointment in life of just, you have this this cover of Bart, your favorite character, and it looks so fun fun look it's springfield and then you turn on those like say the space mutant game or bart yeah. versus the world well not to go too much into a sidebar but with virtual bart and bart's nightmare bart's nightmare is better but instead of making one mediocre game they made six bad games for each of those right mm-hmm. and that was the problem <laughs> uh you know at least i guess at least it shakes it up but you you i renting it as a kid you had the extra hope of like well okay this mini game was bad but this next one when i'm where i I'm uh, Indiana Jones or Bartzilla. Whoa. These these will be good. I just know it. No, 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 no. But never. <laughs> but now, where, where do you guys land on the on the beat 'em up, the arcade beat 'em up? I feel like that's the only one I can still go back and play and be like, yep, nope, still still all right. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We actually did an episode about that with Chris Kohler, and I think we decided that it is kind of the peak of that style of game. And yeah. uh, basically, it does lose a lot of uh, value because you're not paying for it as you play. But it's still 20 minutes of amazing. Sprint right work and sound effects and uh, all kinds of production values yeah i agree with that it's that teenage mutant turtles and x-men those mm-hmm. are those mm-hmm. are the heavy hitters of that genre oh yeah and then unfortunately street fighter and mortal kombat got so big that was that's where the money was everybody got out of the brawler genre for the license thing sadly ironically the first time i played street fighter 2 at water country usa <laughs> uh, oh wow so the s- smell of chlorine was was rich on you as you were playing that. the smell of chlorine and the faint hint of sunburn Oh, that uh, again, just describing this, the smell of chlorine with sunscreen like that just scents Mm -hmm. like I have I have nostalgia when I smell chlorine. Eh. It just reminds me of childhood. It's about it's half that and half uh, gross sense to me. (laughs) Yep. Though then again, that I worked at a movie theater, so the smell of popcorn is not like fun movie time to me. It reminds me of having unhappy job time. <laughs> but yeah, Bart goes down. He also says what it was his season two catchphrase, bitchin'. Okay, I have had stress nightmares of this. Like this like that movie The Descent. I could only watch mm-hmm. it once because like something about, you know, monsters, blood and gore and all that, you know, it scares me fine. It really is that tight enclosed space. Like in the movie The Descent, one of the climbers like freaking out as they're just stuck and being talked out of how to climb out of it. Like this thing of homer just getting stuck and just like you're in the dark water's rushing past you're like what like it just horror a nightmare to me when i rode water slides i love the ones where you go into the dark tunnel uh, and this didn't scare me as a kid i didn't think about the horror of this until i became an adult and was watching the dvds thinking no this i would probably just pass out from panic yes oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, then claustrophobia is real folks well and then once you pass out like in homer's position what his face slumps down into water he might just drown at that point like yeah 
yeah uh, yeah I, especially with all those kids down there with him i always wonder with that like the kids when homer gets removed from it the kids aren't there so i guess they had to be pulled up but yeah like when homer says can't breathe too many children like he's dead he, he suffocated <laughs> mm-hmm. and probably one of those kids did too uh, too big to be human is what the uh, engineers say oh, that's so mean but uh and yeah i do believe that with the simple word roger that is the first appearance of canonical squeaky voice teen like there have been teen guys who work at places this season beforehand like in her powell episode the manager yeah. of the movie theater don't have a heart attack old man yeah, but they don't have the squeaky voice teen voice which we hear here also i i tried to look up in the news like oh are there any stories of people being stuck in uh, that uh, like simpsons real life thing the one i found from the summer of 2020 is depressing oh no um, so i believe it was because during the pandemic a water slide was shut down this was in arizona an arizona man uh broke into the closed water park oh i've heard about this swam around in the pool some and late at night went through one of the water slides and got stuck oh and oh my god uh the story is a policeman on patrol came by heard a man like shouting he said that the tube ended up being like a bullhorn like amplified his voice saying help the police went to get him and they removed a portion of the slide to get him out but he did not live until the point of them removing the slide wow. part so oh no yes uh the the uh, the guy <laughs> passed away so so uh i have a less depressing story okay <laughs> so my wife nina matsumono sent me a story a recent story about a water park in australia that's recently come under fire because they weigh some people before they're allowed to use certain attractions yes uh it's become uh, a, a controversial thing mostly because if they weigh you and you're too heavy you have to walk past everybody to the oh, exit of the ride oh, so they should at least give you an elevator of shame like a private elevator <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Uh, the shame shoots uh, <laughs> but I was looking at this picture in the article and I was looking at what some of the uh, weight limits were and these are in kilograms kilogram, so I translated them this two person ride called the tunnel of terror there's a weight limit of 396 pounds between the two of you mm. and uh, for the one person ride it was 198 eight pounds boy and so most americans couldn't ride that no I couldn't no ride yeah. that no yeah yeah and uh so yeah it's uh the controversial thing but uh if they eyeball you and think you're too big they just say it's a safety issue so oh, yeah and that's uh i i've been through that on the harry potter ride where you uh it's the the harry potter ride that's like hogwarts you sit down in the thing and if they can put the thing down over you it's not weight necessarily but it is uh the size of your stomach uh, pretty much Mm. if they can't lock it in place a green light doesn't come on and they just make you like i'm sorry you gotta get up and and uh, i uh have gone through that and it's not fun henry i was there and I, i objected to the entire process because they make you do it in front of everybody in line yes yeah and i felt so bad and they know they make you that you know that you are holding up the line and everybody's looking at you and uh it i now feel like that is fully intentional by jk rowling and she wants to torture people like i i i think she hates fat people and wants them to be unhappy uh, it just seems I mean. unrealistic to me because uh the size of people visiting a amusement park is usually pretty large right and most americans yeah, i'd say yeah, yeah. Now, yeah in america certainly yeah i and 
you're also not used to that. No other amusement park is about. Uh, apparently, the new Secret Life of Pets ride also has a "Hey, if we can't get your this thing locked in, you can't ride it" type mm-hmm. deal. But in that case, and I think they now have this outside Harry Potter as well. They have a test seat, and they're like, "Hey, sit in this outside, and if the and if you can get the green light on, then you can ride the ride." Which, uh, you know, hey, I hate it was so embarrassing and i hated it but i did feel a certain level of triumph when i did come back after Ah. covid and could ride that ride awesome so i that felt good but uh but yeah i i feel like you shouldn't make a ride that in humiliates overweight people on their vacations you know they can just say uh sir you've won a prize come this way (laughs) and then that's when they kick you off Uh, it's free food special ride yeah (laughs) oh a free uh free churro oh boy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yes, Homer does not uh, get much of a prize. What the hell with this? Line inspector coming to a big move to the right. Grab the handrail, young man. Out of my way! I'm here for your safety. God bless that man. <laughs> Hmm. Looks like there's a jam in Delta Sector. Hmm. Well, it's too big to be human. I'll send down a few kids. That's your dislodge. Roger. Uh, you have that picture behind you on our, our stream here, Bob. That's uh, that Homer scream. That's some of the best. Like Reardon and his team drew some of the craziest, funny-looking Homers ever in this. And Reardon is like Homer master. Like he's uh, other guys draw other characters better than him, but his episodes his homer is the funniest he he jokes on multiple commentaries including this one about like uh he he has a homer body type as well and he he goes like wow why do i have to direct all the ones about homer being fat (laughs) because he also directed king size homer there's there's two bits of animation in here i really love uh i do like that homer but i think bart's face as he's going down the the tube is also like some of the best like your face skin is peeling off your skull type stuff Oh, yeah. Uh, And then the final shot of uh, Homer, you know, the booing aside, the moment where Homer is taken (laughs) out of the pipe and he's just sort of dangling there as the clouds just kind of go by. There's an almost serenity to it, even though it is like a very unfortunate situation. I just I love just the dazed look on his dead face (laughs) that shows that like he's not mad anymore. He's out of energy like he's been stuck. Tired. He's stuck there for like, like, yeah, it's and hearing and hearing all the like boos like nobody nobody's happy he's alive like nobody's like yeah they saved him he's like boo you ruined it you ruined the theme park i wanted to go on the water slide <laughs> yeah then uh, this bit of news afterwards of homer being uh, the top news story i had never heard the term the saying i use the term loosely but that taught me in and i i used it uh, from then on great bit of crusty being interviewed on his front lawn like like a uh, like an intro trouble celeb like hey hey <laughs> it's isolated incident we hear about crusty tainted mayonnaise yeah i love that uh you know that question about out of bounds and also this i think this is the last time crusty
Misty's makeup is treated as put on his face because mm. he's right. He, he's wiping his forehead and it's removing. I was curious as to what the average weight of the American male is, and apparently uh, men are getting taller and heavier every year. And I think currently it is 198 pounds is mm. the average American male. Okay. So I don't know what it was 30 years ago, but I assume maybe 20 pounds lighter. I would bet. Yeah. I, I'm working my way down to that. I, I'll get there. By the live show, people, you'll see it. Henry vows to be average. <laughs> average, I say. Uh, yeah, the... Uh, but yes, as Homer is asking everybody for tips afterwards, like, this is one of those things where an overweight person who has been in denial all this time then has to admit it, and just the family just goes like... Eh just i love forgive us dad but it takes time to properly sugarcoat the uh, response like what a great line that is a line i have definitely used in my real life on more than a few occasions mm-hmm. well because well, if someone you love asks a difficult question you have to go like you it takes time it does take time you know for all the time i've spent in front of a camera and on a microphone when i have to actually make the gears turn and figure <laughs> out the nice response to something there is nothing more obvious on this planet i might as well be glowing (laughs) (laughs) people are hearing gears turn as you as they're looking at you uh also the posing of lisa saying like forgive us dad for that line it would be reused in rosebud uh Mm. when when homer's saying like i'll never bear my bud in public again and lisa says i want to believe that this time really i do and then when homer says he's going to show his butt again she's like i knew it that was all added in post with with this animation these days scales are more accurate but no less cruel and this is the feeling of getting on a scale after you've uh intentionally not stood on a scale for a long time you're then given the bad news and like i just love the the back and forth here by castellanetta in the reaction to it i i love this Oh, 437 50 pounds oh my god 300 150 oh, oh. oh my god it's 260 pounds i'm a big fat pig <laughs> you do have big bones Marge, no one gains 30 pounds of bone I'm going on a diet. From this day forward, I pledge there will be no pork chop too succulent, no donut too tasty, no pizza too laden with delicious toppings to prevent me from reaching my scientifically determined ideal weight. (laughs) As God is my witness, I'll always be hungry again. Don't shut up. They definitely added that final joke yeah. in. You could tell. I like that sound, though. The sound yeah. of Homer's upset stomach. Remind, that's pretty much the exact sound his stomach makes when uh, he eats a chili pepper, the insanity pepper. I, I oh, also yeah. I enjoy how clumsy his uh, line is, just a parody of the Gone with the Wind line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, wait, like, this is the second time this season they parodied the exact, like, never be hungry again speech. <laughs> it's uh, they, they were really high on Gone with the Wind at the time. I mean, you guys mentioned uh, his, his Dan Castellaneta's delivery during the can we can we go to Mount Splash more a bit? But like, I think in general, this is just some of the best Dan Castellaneta stuff of this season. Like he is, you know, he's yelling a lot, but it's like I just feel like there is a lot of really good Homer character work in here. 
Yeah, the more they make him yell as Homer, the more he realizes he can't do the, you know, uh, more math version of Homer. So mm-hmm. it's really slipping away. It'll be completely gone by the end of season three. I mean, the amount of screaming and crying in this one is like this. This is them on the other side of where uh, we remarked so much in season two of like, oh, they added this scene of Homer screaming because it's just so funny. Or, oh, they realized that uh, Dan sobbing and then instantly going like, oh, OK, <laughs> like it's so funny that this is homer the entire episode like he's either angry or sad or screaming he screams so much in this episode i also just the seeing the scale move back and forth like you you hope it's going to be digital scales they're straight to it now yeah Yeah. yes and they connect to your wi-fi network uh i wouldn't buy one like that (laughs) i don't want that i i'll just input it myself i don't want my phone i don't want to need a smart scale no (laughs) homer deciding he's finally going to do it and now 260 that doesn't feel bad enough you know like uh 30 I mean, years later yeah it feels weird that 260 would be too big for anything in america these mm-hmm. days well it even shows like you know f- uh five years later when they get him up to 300 that feels like they had to go like it's got to be at least 300 yeah. for homer to be the fat and now yeah. we're in the era of my 600 pound life and people on there are upwards of like 800 or even 900 pounds yeah yeah it's uh, uh it's, it's rough you feel bad for those folks it i but i feel like those those reality shows though that's like how much is it help how much is it a freak show you know or how much are they treat exploiting the people for it well if they fail on the show they can take advantage of the uh, vast amount of fetish websites (laughs) out there yeah no it takes me i watched uh it was the mtv true life it was about like i'm i'm 600 pounds or whatever it was about being overweight but the one guy i remember it in it that i was so surprised by was it was a guy who was you know that heavy but he was also gay and he said one of the problems for him was that he was part of a fetish community that was really into his weight Mm. and he was kind of scared that he'd lose some of his romantic partners if he lost a bunch of weights like he it was for him it was like oh being this heavy actually is is, i i'm the opposite of a virgin because of this (laughs) because this weight so it was an interesting dynamic to see added to it but homer not so much in the bear community uh compared to this guy but um, I laugh that Marge enters the room holding a mop and bucket. Like she is so like the <laughs> homekeeper in this episode. Like another, when she me- meets Burns later, she enters the scene with cleaning implements as well. Like, and later she has her hair in curlers yeah. for no reason too. She's a real homemaker. We start act two with uh, what almost feels like a treehouse scene of just <laughs> Bart and Homer exploring a dark attic together. It's great because what scares Homer is the lights coming on and him seeing himself in the mirror. <laughs> it's not the lights going off that scare Homer. It's That's the lights good. coming on. That's good. And uh, some jokes in there I didn't catch until the freeze framing, including the show's second joke about, gee, your hair, hair smells terrific. Yeah. And also uh, Dr. Nick Riviera's gym in a jar. That's good. And it's a bunch of pills. Yes. <laughs> Just a big <laughs> bottle of pills. And uh, yeah, this is when Bart has the reaction that child me did watching this episode. Hey, Homer, I found your weight. Oh, the glutamous maximizer. Hey, who's the mop top with a big schnoz? Don't you know anything, boy? That's Ringo Starr. What is this? Hey, your mother must have painted this. I guess she thought he was kind of cute. <laughs> what? Hey, what the dirt, Marge? No, Homer, don't be jealous. I was a schoolgirl. The Beatles were very popular. I had a crush on them. Likely story. 
<laughs> Homer thinks that they had a secret relationship, I guess, that he's, he's actually that <laughs> jealous about it, uh, which I guess this is the first time, you know, we get to see uh, this side of Marge, like certainly the artistic one, but also somebody who likes music and enjoys popular music. They wouldn't do a lot with this skill of hers, really. Uh, there'd be a joke about how she painted the sailboat painting in the living room in the, uh, I think it's in the IRS episode. Yes, and yeah. then in uh, Pokemon in season 12, they finally follow up with her being a painter. Mm-hmm. And then also when Homer becomes an artist. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah it, he gets it, jealous. It's a story about how Marge is like, didn't you, did you forget that I'm an artist? <laughs> yeah. It's almost like her yelling at the writers. I mean, it's one of the darkest jokes we I've rediscovered in doing this in that IRS one of Marge uh, saying like, I painted that. And just when she puts it back on the wall and looks at it, she says like, you had a lot of talent, baby. And just walks away like so. I was like, damn, damn. Marge, I think too, definitely in the description of Reese in his pitch, Marge being like a very 70s, like bad art artist. Like mm-hmm. I, I do see, I feel a little bit of Margaret Keene in here. The big eyes kind of feel just the, or, you know, the, the cloying earnestness of the commercial pop art of the 70s for sure. Which Yeah, she's not an abstract painter. She's someone that like looks looks at a thing and then finds a way to make that thing onto a canvas, you know? Yeah. I guess it's not too far from uh, the Elvis on velvet kind of painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and also that she was such a fan of Ringo Starr. She painted his face over not even the other Beatles, but she very clearly was like, no Ringo. I'm into Ringo specifically. I mean, everyone had their favorite Beatle and you know, it's, it's all comes down to a person, a matter of personal taste. Now I will say that it is funny that Ringo looks absolutely nothing like any version of homer uh, so <laughs> she has multiple types it seems yeah, yeah him and bobby sherman <laughs> yep i do wonder what did ringo feel about how big his nose is i will say yeah. i am a man who is large of nose and i appreciate <laughs> the fact that that is replicated on this drawing also i feel like maybe after season nine or ten they started becoming very flattering with their caricatures especially if the person was on the show mm. like you're not going to see a ghoulish steven tyler on the simpsons these days <laughs> like you saw in season three so that's true i appreciate these caricatures more than they would just run them through the simpsonizer in the future episodes mm-hmm. i i would have hazard to guess that steven tyler did not even think of that as ghoulish he just like yeah. no that's me that's just that's 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 who i am and i love that drawing of him oh yeah yeah, yeah. i mean now he's more cat than man i'd say he's more really. scarf than man also that mm-hmm. yes yeah uh but yeah this this nose is as big as somebody's foot like it's the joke from uh, the <laughs> critic of like oh that's tv his nose is as big as my foot <laughs> look at it yeah but but the i i also like artistically how they're able to render what a painting looks like in an animated world like there's this extra sheen to it that makes it look like acrylic on on a painting yeah but but yeah marge just she is explaining her paintings is is feeding homer the the joke diet foods of the 90s yeah, and this is a big misnomer, misnomer with diets. Henry, you could probably speak to this in oh, that yeah. if you go on a diet, you have, you have to eat bad health food. And that was the idea. I mean, we just did a Garfield uh, special where Garfield's diet meal was a piece of lettuce. Yes, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Flavorless veggies, steamed even. So meaning, I believe then the distinction was, well, these are steamed, meaning they are not pan fried in a ton of lard. Like, yeah. That's why they're healthy vegetables, because those were the two ends of the spectrum for many suburban white people cooking without any seasoning, which was 
was like, well, I'm either going to fry this shit up in a pan or it'll be steamed and uh, have all liquid drained out of it. And I can confess that I have watched a lot of my 600 pound life because I find it very fascinating. <laughs> and what breaks a lot of people of the healthier diet is that they've never learned how to cook. Mm. So they assume like, I'll just make a bunch of salads or I'll be poking at a sad piece of unseasoned tilapia and that's mm-hmm. it. But it's like, no, you can you can still eat good food and have it be less caloric. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the worst things I think about American society is that we have so compartmentalized this notion of the food should come to you. And like, we don't, I, I understand that it's also kind of wrapped up in this notion of like, well, the wife cooks, you know, she's the domestic, she does all that work. But like, at the same time, I just feel like we, we as a society have done a real rotten job of teaching generations that like, yo, it's actually like, yes, it's a little intimidating, but you can cook good food without having to be a master chef. Totally. Yeah. I, I'm hoping other, uh, this did get me cooking more of my own food again and, and shaking things up. And of course, you know, we've all heard the air fryer tales, but that really did (laughs) getting an air fryer did open up a lot of other, uh, cooking stuff for me, but uh, definitely like even using, using the air fryer for vegetables like you know broccoli or green beans like it makes it so much more exciting and same with these rice cakes it's like there are you know tastier 40 calorie snacks you can have now farming that are commercially sold not just you know you have to go to a special store for it or whatever or make it yourself yeah you don't just have to sit there and eat a plain food disc there is word <laughs> yeah. there's actual decent healthy food out there that does taste good like on the my, my 600 pound life show the most extreme diets these people go on people who are like 700 pounds is they have a 1200 calorie a day diet mm. you can have three really good 400 calorie meals in a day yeah yeah but but you're used to the high calorie stuff i think too one thing that really helped me was living in california Mm -hmm. because you know uh what 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 some may complain about being a nanny state i fully welcome that like if i go to a restaurant they still have to put the calories on the on the menu so i know what i'm eating i can't just i mean really if i order a very high calorie thing i know it's not good for me Mm -hmm. but if you actually see 1800 calories written on the menu you're like ah shit that's a lot like I, you you have to go an extra step once you see that number uh but yeah i guess this is how it was then and probably this is a joke about the writers trying to lose weight and being told what you can eat now like no yeah no more free butter fingers in the office <laughs> you gotta eat rice cakes we've heard from bill oakley and we said this before but back in this time before smartphones there was nothing to do in the office so you just ate you ate yeah. constantly because food was everywhere and he said he gained 70 pounds while being showrunner of the simpsons yeah now mike reese did the did the same too that he won like especially one thing that didn't help him was that they had the Butterfinger deal. And so Butterfinger just sent them all the free Butterfingers you want. And that was the old formula of Butterfinger, the actually good ones. <laughs> you know, I had it bad enough. Uh, it was not good for me when I worked in an office that just had a candy dish of just like, uh, you know, I, I I bet I'll think better about this listicle <laughs> if I stand up and walk over and grab a crack. Well, was it the same that the one that we worked at that had like a free grocery store? Oh in no, the this was after, okay. this was before that. That was even worse of just like, oh, I could just eat two tubes of uh, the peanut butter filled pretzel bites and. Just just to my heart's content. Oh boy, <laughs> yeah. Those uh, the Silicon Valley free uh, the kitchens. Uh, one of the most evil things, mm-hmm. I'd say. In, <laughs> uh, but yes, then Lisa connects with Marge as she often does with tales of their dreams being squashed. 
Hey, Mom, these paintings are good. While I know firsthand how fragile young talent is, I'd love to hear the particulars of how your gift was squashed. Mm. Well... No, not another portrait of that wangle-beating liver puddling. But, Mr. Schindler, uh, I... Someone might have used this canvas to create a masterpiece. Instead, you soiled it forever. Now, this is art. Thank you, Mr. Schindler. <laughs> oh, Mom, I can't believe you gave up painting because of one small-minded art teacher. I was so upset, I decided to send the portrait to the only man on Earth whose opinion I could really trust. And what was Ringo's response? Mm, I never got any. And I never painted again. Maybe you could take a class at Springfield Community College. I think it's a very nice idea. Don't you, Homer? Do I have to do anything? No. Great, fine, go nuts. Mmm, <laughs> only 35 calories. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, it's a trick you can put yourself into when you're like, oh, you know, if I just put a little cheese on here, it's not that much more. It's like, no, no, no. You gotta, you need to read the back of that packaging too on that cheese. The it's guy, not just a little. The guy who uh, the professor liked or the teacher liked was painting a picture of Weary Willie, this Emmett Kelly hobo character. There's ah. one very famous painting of him, but then there was like a ton of other merchandise memorabilia made of him. My grandmother, when she was still alive, I think the last time she decorated her house was like 19. 1978 so there was like a weary willy collector's plate oh, she had beautiful. so wow. it's perfect oh. for the time but her art teacher would love that more than a tribute to uh to ringo star i also like i like any joke about old people not liking the beatles like there's i just saw a clip from an old sean connery bond of him just going like just ragging on the beatles the like beatles. He, he couldn't stand him that's because uh, we're i'm so used to like you know my entire life everybody's like well it's all agreed upon that the beatles are great but to see things from the 60s and see frank sinatra or, or sean connery just say like those guys can't play music they're terrible there was that steve allen or alan sherman parody song instead of pop goes the weasel it was i hate the beatles yes because yeah. <laughs> well you also it was about complaining that girls have bad taste in music and yeah. so these teen girls couldn't possibly like good music yes I mean, it just lets you know that the generational divide where every generation hates the next generation's music is immutable. Mm. That's, it is just, it is the cycle of life and we will never shake it. I don't like being on the other side of that cycle, though. It's uh... And that just reminded me... <laughs> Uh, there's like beetle parodies characters in the jungle book too yes yeah the the vultures were actually supposed to be the beetles yeah. and they would have sang their own songs but then the beetles dropped out of it and so they instead made them a barbershop quartet but still drew them to have the beetle bowl haircut yeah and then the simpsons would go on to parody the beetles by doing a barbershop quartet uh-huh. <laughs> the snake will fully eat itself once that barbershop quartet actually sings baby on board in disneyland i some i hope to see the fancy dan someday sing that song when i'm there they haven't yet to my knowledge make sure you call them the dapper dance Henry. dapper dance sorry they'll slap you in the face with their straw hats <laughs> fancy dan is a spider-man villain okay i was gonna That's say is that a wrestler it's that no no it's the it's the guy who fights spider-man with lassos fancy dan hmm. <laughs> i like that lisa with the bluntness of a child just goes like oh how was your dream squashed and marge just has to grumble like okay fine here's, <laughs> here's a story of how i gave up my dreams <laughs> to to be your mother I feel like every real artist has at least one teacher that they've had at one time or another that has, if not gone out of their way to quash their dreams, has maybe made them feel like less than. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you. it's something you got to either overcome or not as uh, as an art or as somebody who makes things, which, yeah, yeah I mean, 
probably in, in my response to that was that I was then like, well, you wouldn't critique me if I wrote about video games. You don't even know video games, English <laughs> teacher. That was that was my response to it, I think. Oh, hey, mine was an English teacher, too. Fascinating. <laughs> no, it really was. I had an English teacher who told uh, my AP English teacher who wouldn't let me be in the next second year AP English. And then I showed her by doing very well on the test uh, to get in the next year. And then, But then she owned me extra after. She's like, I didn't think you didn't have the talent. I thought you didn't work hard enough. <laughs> and I was like, well, well. And I decided to be in class with her another year. And, but, oh, yeah. that's harsh. <laughs> Also, when Lisa suggests going to the art uh, community college, that guy 3002 on Twitter, uh, he didn't have too many clips from the original script, but he's always a great resource for that. Uh, But he did have this from the original script. Bart has this great line that I wish they kept in. He reacts to it saying, community college? That's just high school with ashtrays. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like That's that. Very accurate. Yeah, which uh, would then just end up being the the plot of the series Community. Which yeah, it's uh, I've I've sometimes considered like oh I bet I could learn something if I went to a community col- college class and these something I was into. These Harvard writers trash a community college. That there is that aspect of it. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which uh, you know at one point uh, almost seemed like we were going to get free community college. Uh, but not by the time you're hearing this that's gone Uh, dare to dream a little smaller please smaller still (laughs) hey you know what if i wanted a pizza with a large pizza with pineapple on it and they offered me sorry this is just politics complaining now forget it (laughs) uh but yeah so I really love that Lisa escorts Marge to there. Like, you can yeah. see that Marge is leaning on her for emotional support. It's really sweet. I like that. And, and this is in the early goings of Marge sort of branching out from just kind of being the mom, right? Like, they haven't done too many episodes about her sort of, like, finding other avenues. You know, the the only one before this I can think of is the is the bowling episode, and that's when she just contemplates an affair, you know? <laughs> and it's, Yeah. The, the main joke is that she is ignored, but there's no much more to it than that this actually is like does marge like to do anything like three episodes earlier when she met her powell she's like no literally there's nothing else in my <laughs> life i had kid. i met homer in high school we had kids and now i'm their parents that's pretty much it yeah no i think our generation of moms had to give up a lot of dreams unfortunately that's also what's like mine did yeah yeah my, mine too yeah mm-hmm. uh, but uh but yes march first runs into apu which feels like a joke about how everybody in hollywood has a script they're all writing a script another mention of Sanjay we won't actually meet him until Homer at the bats right and then I think he actually gets a line in dog of death in uh, in the original script Apu uh, also says that he's having lunch with Kevin Costner next week mm. to show his script so I'm kind of glad they cut that yeah one. yeah, yeah. Uh, but yes then Marge finds out there's a little problem with joining the class next up my mother would like to enroll in painting from life to be please whoa, 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 whoa. not so fast there pint size i'm afraid no one can enroll until professor lombardo personally inspects and approves their portfolio Lisa, this was a bad idea um ah very good fabulous oh even better you have real talent mm-hmm. do you really think so my high school art teacher hated them what the man was a fool but still, one must admire the force of his conviction. But I'm in the class? <laughs> oh, my dear, there couldn't be a class without you. Now, if you'll excuse me, nature calls. Marvelous! <laughs> 
So yeah, John Lovitz is back. Woo, yeah. Playing Professor Lombardo, uh, who makes just a few background appearances after this, but won't have another speaking appearance until season 15's The Ziff Who Came to Dinner, and that's only for a joke where all the Lovitz characters are in Moe's together. Yes, (laughs) but I... I love him as this endlessly pra- like the complete opposite of the teacher she had growing up. This is a guy who only praises things seemingly to the point that it looks like he has no taste and yeah. doesn't know what art is. But but you know, I think that's good. I people could use endlessly positive, supportive, and maybe stupid uh, art teachers now and then. For sure. And I I just I really enjoy the Lovett's performance here. He is having such a good, fabulous time with that character and, you know, I'm I mean, like all the Lovitz performances are identifiably Lovitz, <laughs> yeah. but this one feels the most like a character. And it just you can see, I don't know, it's just a, it's a fun, effervescent kind of character. I, I love that he can't just the way he compliments even the guy in the story, like the man was a fool, but still one must mi- admire the force of yes. his conviction. Yeah. Uh, and also, like, I really like the realism of. When Margie's told, oh, wait, you can't just join the class. It has to be approved. She goes like, "Eh, Lisa, I told you this was a bad idea. Like she wants to just leave. Like it's very realistic of a person who, you know, was so burned by rejection in her childhood that now she's like, oh, no, this is coming up again. I might be rejected again. I want to get out of here. And she has to be like dragged by Lisa to it. Like that feels very real to me. I like the design. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Alex. I like the design of Professor Lombardo. I like any blue haired characters on the show because they drop the blue hair after I don't know season three, mm. but he does to me look like an alternate universe Smithers. He's yeah, I see it. Smithers without a wig on, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Marge joins the group first. We cut back to Homer doing some of his exercises. His sound effects as he's trying to move his hands is great. As he realizes Bart is robbing him as he can't move, like that's so funny. <laughs> Though also, yeah, this is how, this is my morning walk. Like I, you know, I don't want to run and put a bunch of stress on my joints, but I do uh, do, you know, morning, uh, a walk every morning for about four miles with heavy hands and feet. And it uh, really does help, you know, it's uh, it's a good, good lower impact kind of thing. Oh yeah, no, I, uh, sometimes when I'm practicing drums, I will use uh, wrist and ankle weights and just play some fairly basic beats just to kind of, you know, sort of, get the muscles going and mm. then take that off and then it's like oh now i can play fast <laughs> uh that's nice. that's like just yeah, like goku that's what i was thinking yeah. also, also when i walk around wearing heavy stuff i'm like oh yeah this is how goku trained this is how he became the strongest <laughs> uh that's in the dragon ball comics even none of the training is like learn how to punch learn how to kick it's just like put on a heavy thing and then walk or do jumping jacks like just make the thing harder mm-hmm. so that when you take it off it becomes a lot easier uh, and then we uh, we cut to the class. Uh, I think Graining Kai boshed a joke that he'd be in the art class. Uh, yeah, he said he draw. didn't want a bunch of animators drawing themselves into the show all the time, <laughs> so he didn't want to set that up as a precedent. And also, it's kind Which of weird. That ended a long time ago. That yeah, idea. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird that they're setting up this idea of his, this philosophy of art, as a ridiculous idea. But this is how artists draw. Yes, like you yeah. draw the basic shapes first before you add the details. But to the writers, they're like, "Isn't this crazy?" I I think the writer of the, of the script, Brian K. Roberts, said, I took this art class and they had this crazy idea where you break things down into shapes. Well, my wife's an artist. I know that's how you do it. And I've yeah. drawn things too. You draw the shapes of things first in the anatomy. If you're just going to freehand it, then you're probably not going to get the head or arms in the right place, especially. Uh, yeah, I think on the commentary, Reardon has to go like, but that is what we do. Yeah. Like, that's, how we, that's how Bart's head is a cylinder and then you draw around the cylinder. Yeah, you like. draw the tuna can first. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Homer's a light bulb, but upside down, and then you draw around it. Like that, that's the secret of it. But yeah, if you're not a professional artist, you would just think like, look at this crazy thing. I love when he said, even a rhombus. Rhombus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I also, I do like though, that I think Matt Groening doesn't draw like that. I he think d- he absolutely does not. He draws the eyes first and then the head around it. There's no yeah. construction underneath. <laughs> Which which makes it even funnier that he shows like all these things that become a bunny rabbit and the bunny rabbit is so specifically a Matt Groening ass bunny. Oh that, yeah. yeah, that would not come from following those rules. Which that's just so good. That bunny has spent some time in hell. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, it kind of I really love how these like bounce off each other. Like you see Marge in class and then you end up with a Rocky parody, but you see Homer doing it in this uh, all of those shapes, which the artist that seems hard as hell for them. man. I, I love the climax of that because he's only able to lift the weight as the other weights are sliding off of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Really murdering the cat in the process. <laughs> great. Uh, great sense of physics there as they all slide off and you can see it getting easier easier for him and you know at that point a rocky three parody not so old you know mm. not not as tired they're still making rocky movies in 91 that's true yeah yeah he, uh, the awful rocky six i think would have come out or five five at that five time. yeah Six, uh, Rocky Balboa, positive, good by comparison to five, I'd say. Oh, yeah. No, I think and literally anything involving Rocky is better than Rocky five. Mm-hmm. Those those Creed movies are good. I want a third Creed movie where, like, I guess you'd have to fight Clubber Lang's kid next. That's all the, the other kids they haven't faced yet. I'm still waiting for the Rocky 5000 that Spaceballs promised me. <laughs> I mean, they could also do Brooke Hogan because there is that brief bit where Hulk Hogan shows up in one of those. Oh, <laughs> man. God. Yeah, you're right. They could. Uh, Thunder, Thunderlips Jr. He's He can face them. Uh, you know, there's lots of pro wrestlers they can put. Actually, honestly, what he should do in the next one is him. It's Donnie, Donnie getting older and he has to fight like a Conor McGregor stand in. And he's like, oh, this MMA guy wants to. Or honestly, he'd have to fight Logan Paul in the thing. That's Ooh. what he'd do. Oh, that's, that's God. What, I, I, I'm sorry I talked this into existence now, but that's <laughs> who Creed 3's enemy will be. He's Jake fighting Paul. a series of TikTok superstars in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if one of those like awful fixed Logan Paul fights was just them giving a million dollars to Sylvester Stallone to show up and just like get knocked out. Oh, I couldn't. I it was almost too Verhovian to watch, but I did check in on the on a free feed. I certainly wouldn't have paid for it to see no, Donald God, no. to see Donald Trump hosting the. <laughs> Evander Holyfield 59 year old man fight I was like this <laughs> the satire is fully dead now it's just I, I, oh yeah no more. I listened to a recap at one point Donald Trump says I don't know why anyone is watching this he does say that that yes. is amazing and and of course they you know sing uh Everybody like salutes the president uh, Trump there as they're singing the Star Spangled Banner. It's uh, I, I mean, you know, lots of things get com- compared to uh, Nazi rallies in the, <laughs> today, but <laughs> and, uh, that was something. Anyway, yes, this whole Rocky thing ends, and then we cut back to Lombardo giving instructions to everybody. It's like uh, just another, just one more. Oh, now it's perfect! Like so good. <laughs> he sees Marge's painting of Homer, in which honestly, I want a frame portrait of that. I want that painting of Homer 
passed out with a beer. <laughs> How have they not sold that as official merchandise? Money on the table. Money on the table there. Every, every real painting in the Simpsons world should have a painting you can buy. I agree. Including yes. nude burns. <laughs> and, but uh, it should be full frontal. Especially the, nude burns. Yes. <laughs> There's not a lot to Mr. Lombardo, but I do like how he's endlessly effusive with his praise. But when someone turns it around on him, he goes, I don't take praise very well. That's so great. He just, just gets very <laughs> yeah. mad at them. I love that. Uh, and then I also love his little like slides down his shades like bold Adonis. That's such a great little just posing too. Uh, but yeah, this he he runs off after he can't take any praise. Uh, Marge then enters in the contest. They very quickly just go like, oh, and she wins the end. Like, uh, and Homer is not uh, embarrassed to have a picture of him passed out in his underwear on no. the uh, <laughs> a display in public. He, he does. No, he's stoked. He's a work of art now. He's eating uh, his rice cake, too, on the yeah, scene. Yeah, I love that. He just, I love he has a little look side by side, like, okay, rice cake. I mean, probably this, there's a bunch of free hors d'oeuvres that Homer has to just be, you know, passing up. <laughs> he just can't, can't touch him. Just chew, chew on that rice cake. I mean, I definitely have had rice cake eating days where I'm just like, I just need to move my teeth. Like, I just <laughs> need to chew on something. That's why nature invented gum. Ah, a gum. big piece of gum. Ah, I I need I need something I swallow. Uh, I can't. It, the swallowing and chewing it, it, it's hand in hand in in tricking me. <laughs> uh, also, the saying as a kid, "Last supper, eat your heart out," definitely confused me. I had not one heard of the phrase "eat your heart out" or the name of the painting "Last Supper." We we were a pretty agnostic family, so so I can definitely see how in the first pitch when they heard this, they're like, "Ah, wait a minute, this is boring." Then Marge just feels bad and what wins a contest. We got to get mr burns in here <laughs> and so mr burns just slams into the end of this act of like nope it's the burn show now and i think it's it's really them realizing the the true potential of burns and smithers because smithers is not just a lackey i think this is the first time he's in love with mr burns mm-hmm. this is true smithers in this episode yes garbage what matchbook art school did you flunk out of you ham-fisted nearsighted house painter smithers throw this on the dung heap i'm sorry this isn't working out i quit well smithers i guess that's what you call your artistic temperament sir i must remind you that the dedication of the burns wing of the museum is only six days away damnation smithers this idea of yours to immortalize me in a portrait was as half-baked as your idea about me having Mm. children Smithers, find me an artist. Sir, I'm, I'm afraid you've systematically alienated Springfield's entire art community. Well, the only one left is this Mrs. Homer Simpson. Who? Well, uh, she won first prize in the Springfield Art Fair and is the wife of an employee. She'll be easily intimidated. Excellent. Once again, the wheel has turned. <laughs> and Dame Fortune has hugged Montgomery Burns to her sweet, perfumed bosom. Somebody up there likes me, Smithers. Somebody down here likes you too, sir. Shut up. That's Mithers straight up being gay for yeah. Mr. Burns. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like. Unmistakably. Uh, this dynamic for the first time really figured out here, right? Because yeah, yeah. Smithers would be different in um, the Homer Gets Hair episode. He'd be different. He'd, he's barely on the scene in the Burns for Governor episode. He's barely used. Yeah. He's just kind of standing around. He's not. Uh, yeah. This this uh, really figures out Smithers as the character they love. Yeah. Like, like. Burns sends him on missions. Mm-hmm. And, and they fully commit to it after this once in blood feud that's yeah. when smithers tears his shirt open like just leave me enough to get home 
love to, to, to give all his blood to Mr. Burns uh, just to li- just to let him he live. Save another- Mr. Burns's life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but also, though, this is really very sitcommy of just like, oh, uh, you have no other artists left except for the main characters of this show who he doesn't recognize. Yeah. Who? <laughs> yeah. Which Burns should really say not the woman who ended my governor campaign by feeding me fish on live television they go back to the same house yes yeah but uh, you know again but as Bur- we will come to learn eventually he will never remember anything about any of these people and yes. i do enjoy that like just the very uh, suggestion of i found the artist there is an artist that will still do this it turns into burns plotting and sort of like <laughs> menacing music underneath yeah he's like ah wonderful like yeah he steeples his fingers he's mm-hmm. he's as evil as ever i mean they have to this also is them just like luxuriating in Mm -hmm. who mr burns is like this really is just act three is a lot of let's hang out with mr burns like what's he do all day what's a day for old old burnsy (laughs) i also as he says uh as as half-baked as your idea of me having children as we learn in burns's air he has lethargic sperm and uh busy schedule so that's (laughs) why he never had kids the uh, later he'll it will be smithers himself who suggests he choose an heir but uh he's on his way there i also speaking of paintings i want every painting that's in burns's closet like every one of those burns paintings is amazing (laughs) it's so full of abandoned art that smithers has to kind of push himself against the door to close it uh and i i mean i feel for those uh, every artist on the show it's you know easy to write in a script and there's a giant closet full of paintings of mr burns that he rejected it's another thing to be a animator who has to design like two dozen paintings of mr burns that look like they were painted by a real artist like they have to try and find every possible art style for variation i don't think they understand the pencil mileage involved with many of their jokes honestly (laughs) yeah so uh, at the end of act one we had gone with the wind as act three opens up uh homer is good the bad and the ugly style facing down his weight and he gets great news he's at 249 and uh or no he's 250 i think no it is 249 yeah and i love all his does and woohoos back and forth and it's so sweet to me when homer comes in he's like look at the uh look the clothes are just hanging off me he has to shove uh-huh. his thumb inside his pants even bart is supported by imitating billy crystal yes yeah that's i i love that march tells them like kids remember what i said about being supportive of your father mm-hmm. <laughs> like oh great work dad and uh yes it's uh the fernando lamas show impersonation of uh billy crystals yes it's uh and <laughs> olds in 1991 were absolutely rip shit for billy crystal every kid loved billy crystal we all had those city slickers <laughs> posters right it was uh, billy crystal ernest and urkel Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, bro. the holy trinity i can't believe he like put out an album of that that's crazy like, yeah the they all out of like you look marvelous like okay i got it billy it's like i don't know like it's it's a fine little character to do and of course it's his beloved accent comedy of an argentinian <laughs> man that uh, billy crystal loves it's that and jazz man back to back all the all the best but but i i only knew the fernando Lamas show or you look marvelous as a child watching this because 
because I had gotten so into pro wrestling oh, geez. that I had seen the SNL appearance by Hulk Hogan and Mr. T being interviewed by Billy Crystal as Fernando Lamas. And uh, so I knew him from that. It's like, oh, the guy who talked to Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. Only now did I know he was a real man <laughs> based on a real man with the same name. I thought he was just a made up character. <laughs> Well, we grew up with Lorenzo Lamas as a, as a huge part of our lives, hmm. right? No, not Very really. similar people. Yes. Yeah. Was he Renegade? I believe he was Renegade. Okay. Yeah. Renegade and also Snake Eater, yes. Mm, right, right. And uh, I I did find a video of like some interview with Lorenzo Lamas saying like, oh yeah, my dad loved the Billy Crystal impersonation. He thought it was so funny. And then the weirdest thing was in it, Lorenzo Lamas started imitating Billy Crystal, imitating his father, which just felt like two two hat on a hat for me hmm. uh but yeah then we find out uh homer's eating has is impacting the economy uh lenny do, uh, carl <laughs> doing his best lenny impersonation they're they're so close they swap souls sometimes <laughs> <laughs> but clearly what obviously happened was they wrote lenny and the animators picked carl and nobody caught that it was wrong so yeah but the lovitz impersonate reply of oh my god and i just bought a boat (laughs) so big and ridiculous yeah this is why lovitz doesn't do one-line characters in the show it just pulls you away like oh what's what's this guy's deal and rolling donut was the donut brand of choice they would not land on pon lard lad until season eight Which I, I prefer Lard Lad with his big boy design. But yeah, that the pink donut man, I mean, that's one of my favorites. Like, all the colors of the rainbow. Like, uh, that, that guy is very different by the time he's saying, I just bought a boat. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess Homer, Homer, this is the f- closest to a food monster joke they've done at this point of like, this joke would imply Homer eats about five four dozen donuts a day he's putting my kids through college <laughs> yes <laughs> very similar yeah uh so now burns heads to the simpsons home he does not recognize it from from uh when he ran for governor and this is when he interrogates marge <laughs> well don't people answer the door these days allow me sir open up open up Mr. Burns, would you like to come in? Mr. Burns would like to commission you to do a portrait of him. Have you ever painted the rich and powerful? Mm, I don't know. Just Ringo Starr. Ringo? He was the drummer for a rock and roll combo called the Beatles, sir. Beatles, eh? Oh, yes. I seem to remember their off-key caterwauling on the old Sullivan show. (laughs) What was Ed thinking? Mrs. Simpson, this commission and all of its glory can be yours. But first, you must look me straight in the eye and answer one simple question. Okay, shoot. Can you make me beautiful? Mm, oh, I don't think that will be a problem. <laughs> I'm no matinee idol, you know. Well, maybe not, but I have the gift of being able to see inner beauty. Hmm. Mrs. Simpson, you may immortalize me. See, uh, Burns is coming into his own. They don't realize how old they can make him because mm. for this joke to work, Burns remembers a 27-year-old TV appearance and like, that's old, right? Yeah. He would not even know yeah. what a Beatle was. No, or a television. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
again, he can remember these sorts of things and things from his childhood, but he can't remember the governor running bit that he did <laughs> literally like a couple of episodes ago or any of the people involved. Uh, I, I love it's just like ring go. Like he's just so, so confused. Uh, and, and yeah, that he thinks like he also remembers them appearing on Ed Sullivan is a giant mistake and annoying <laughs> and the like uh, Sullivan ruining his, his show. Not he never a, recovered from it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not as the thing that like changed america pop music forever yeah <laughs> but yeah marge also just that she's like okay shoot like she's not intimidated at all by it and and that also like just his permission like like mrs simpson you may immortalize me <laughs> that's all just so great and uh and as uh i also love the bit homer comes home and he goes like honey i'm home oh there's an original sentiment like great <laughs> and homer's just he points and screams like another great <laughs> shot like, just, he can't stand it like what the hell <laughs> Uh, and he shoes Marge away and, and Marge convinces him like, oh no, uh, it's fine. I'll find his inner beauty. And that's when Homer says again, his wonderful bow. Oh, geez. The famous Homer doesn't say dough. He says bow. Yes. Yep. <laughs> First heard in roasting on an open fire. Okay. I was wondering, yeah. I know I was so recycled and it happened a lot in our season <laughs> one recap. I, I can't name every time of it. Uh, that's a challenge for me that I must answer sometime. But but definitely it first appeared in roasting as he's but in that one he's banging his head on the on uh, the racetrack guardrail as as Santa's little helpers coming in last. And he's like, oh, oh geez. I love it's just such a great just sound. <laughs> Uh, then we also find out that Burns does not love pets or babies, <laughs> disgusted by them. And also after watching this, I have to say, Burns does say well a lot. He <laughs> does. He does say well. <laughs> well, does anybody answer the door these days? Uh, also, I like that Homer is searching for the funny pages just in his underwear, staring at the newspaper. <laughs> That's just so great. Uh, and then this is the second time in dead putting society they did the joke that homer loves marmaduke so this is their second bit of characters love the worst comic strips mm -hmm. but uh, burns's love of ziggy is this uh will you ever win <laughs> and of course in a few seasons homer will reject ziggy for being too, too preachy. preachy that's right yes and so then we also get another shot of Marge happening upon Burns in the shower accidentally. So this way she knows how to realistically draw his penis later <laughs> by, by seeing him nude. As a little kid, uh, when I first saw this, I knew for a fact that uh, in my head, uh, I bet if you pause this, you can actually see him naked. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you at least see, you do see his bony little butt. You do see that. His bony old behind. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, and also it's like, I mean, all the specifics on him he's covered in the dot like he has the liver spots on his head they're all the way down his body he has one patch of gray hair and just like weird his uh, spine is sticking out of his body yes, yeah his curved spine is to such an extreme it's poking out yeah he's got like spines <laughs> uh and also more of that the smithers situation just like of course not smithers you you're more like a doctor <laughs> We then also get a, a speech from Smithers that pretty much just sums up Smithers as a person, just that he's like, Mart says, like, what do you get out of this? Because definitely in that uh, Homer Gets Hair episode, 
Smithers seems to be uh, an executive trying to work his way up. Like he mm-hmm. wants, he mm-hmm. hurts Homer's job prospects to for self preservation. But in this one, Smithers doesn't care at all about a career at all. Like he's not an executive there. He's just a lackey, and happily so. Well, and you can also sort of read that as you know retroactively as. Smithers does not like the idea of anyone worming their way into Burns' good graces that is not his. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, while it is not as explicitly like this person is in love with Burns in the in the previous episode, like, there's a protectiveness there that is already apparent. And, mm. you know, it's, it's just here they make the subtext as much text as possible. And just his way, it's like, he's my best friend, too. And then, uh, too hot. Yes, it's, it's calling me right now. Speak. Yeah, it's really, I think, the first and only time a character asks Smithers, like, what's the deal with you two? Yeah, yep. You know so what I mean. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but then it's time for our big guest. So originally, or at one point in the script, it was Ringo appears in a dream, which I think they, at this point, were like, well, the Simpsons can't just meet celebrities. That's not real. Mm-hmm. Realistic, yeah. Like, uh, cut to two years later to meet George Harrison. Homer wins a Grammy and is is backstage. But. I think the dream was Ringo appears and he says, "Hi, I'm Ringo Starr. Do you want to meet Paul and the rest of the Beatles?" Mm. He says that to Marge, and mm-hmm. I think that inspires her or something. I, they yeah. weren't really clear about what the original scene was. When they find out he can do it, they write a lot of dialogue for him that he's not happy about when he comes to the studio. Uh, but yeah, and this is when we find out that Ringo answers fan letters in this next clip. Dear Sally, in response to your letter of December the 12th, 1966, my favorite color is blue and my real first name is Richard. Thanks for the snapshot. You're a real cute bird. Love, Ringo. P.S. Forgive the lateness of my reply. Mr. Starr, tea and crumpets. Just said it over there. Sir, if you'll forgive an old brick his impertinence, your devotion to your fans is nothing short of remarkable. Well, Weatherby, they took the time to write me, and I don't care if it takes me another 20 years. I'm going to answer every one of them. Hello, what's this? <laughs> From Springfield, USA. Gear. <laughs> Oh, man. It's so I think they said that he felt slightly uh, weird having to say all these lines like he's he's a 20 something Liverpool yeah. guy. Yeah, <laughs> there's a funny story on the commentary about when Ringo came in uh, before he came in. A memo was sent out, I think, from Ringo's people saying, here are the ways you can interact with Ringo. Like, don't ask him for this. Don't talk to him about this. One of the things was he will not sign anything. And the writer for this episode did not get that memo. So he showed up. He unfurled a huge poster everyone else was mortified but Ringo still signed the poster still did it that's good I feel like they have actually done a pretty good job here of capturing the spirit of Ringo especially and even like adult Ringo like oh, I sure. obviously I've, as I said I've never met him before but based on what I heard from people who had interacted with him and just kind of what I've seen of him in the media since in his post Beatle days this is just who that this guy is like he's just a happy-go-lucky kind of maybe slightly spacey but generally very <laughs> friendly guy who is too rich and but also like not a huge dick about it as far as I can tell 
and just kind of is just sort of appreciative of the fact that people still care about him and his songs and what he likes to do. And these letters he's writing back are not giving life affirming advice or, you know, <laughs> saving anyone. He's like, here's my favorite color. Yes, we do have French fries. Here's my real name. <laughs> All Googleable things yeah. now. That's what's so great, too. Like, yeah, my, that, that to know that somebody in like 1968 sent him a letter like, is Ringo your real name? And he just happily goes like, actually, my real name is Richard. Like, just reply with that. And also, so he's very like forgive the lateness of my reply <laughs> well uh, we know as of 2008 yes. Ringo is not too happy to receive fan mail although with peace and love he tells you please stop uh, let's give that a listen here the real Ringo opinion on fan mail this is a serious message to everybody watching my update right now peace and love peace and love I want to tell you please after the 20th of October, do not send fan mail to any address that you have. Nothing will be signed after the 20th of October. If that has a date on the envelope, it's going to be tossed. I'm <laughs> warning you with peace and love, but I have too much to do. So no more fan mail. Thank you, thank you. And no objects to be signed. Nothing. Uh, anyway, peace and love, peace and love. I think one of my favorite sentences ever spoken is, I'm warning you with peace and love. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Uh, the way he sort of slides it at the end there has a real baba booey, baba booey, kind of like, I'm just <laughs> saying the line for you kind of thing. Uh, the emphatic second one at the start is my favorite, peace and love, peace and love. 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 He, he, I like how he's trying to be friendly, but he has had it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that he made that pronouncement in 2008 is impressive to me. That He, he really was going, like you know what if you get it before that date i'll sign it all right but this is it october 20th 2008 <laughs> was he known for being especially receptive or something i don't know or did this episode create that myth May maybe it did and i i mean it sounds like he this update seems to come with the understanding of we all know that i sign things if you send it to me but i'm not gonna do it anymore all right <laughs> But, Look, Ringo has his limits. Every once in a while, he just says, I don't want any more of this, and I'm on the side of this, and this is where it's going to be. And, you know, <laughs> whether it's signing fan mail or supporting Brexit, Ringo sometimes <laughs> just has oh, had boy. enough. <laughs> uh, and you know what? Ringo <laughs> was not too big for TV because in 1989, for a solid season, he was Mr. Conductor on Shining Time Station, a role later played by George Carlin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he starred in the movie Caveman. Which, right. You know, yeah, he's, uh, he's, uh, he, he says, yes to lots of stuff i i think too that he gets you know i bet he gets more stuff sent to him because i bet there are some beatles fans that go like well paul is much too busy he won't sign it but i bet ringo has lots of free time like he's he's the more approachable beetle to ask for things <laughs> mm -hmm. i would bet same with like george is so serious you're like well i can't ask him and sure not not george but ringo ringo loves it he's a clown hey clown <laughs> sign this ringo he's available <laughs> Yes. He reacts to it with gear, which is, you know, an old, old timey British, like cool slang. I guess Cockney slang, is it? Like, but just so funny to say gear. And then yeah. he, and he went for it. He's just like, oh, and just saying like, ooh, me, me first name is Richard. 
Like, you can kind of hear him reading these lines as he goes. Like, sure. I, like, Ringo is not a great actor, but, you know, he's he's given it his, he's given his level best. And, you know, like, I think the gear is the line he, he leans into. But everything else there is just like, you can hear him taking a breath right before he reads the next line. <laughs> yeah, I just love It's from Springfield, USA. That was it. Yes. There's yeah. nothing more to it. Henry. Hello. <laughs> what's this? Yeah. Yeah. No. I and I love the joke that of course is a British man. He is eating tea and crumpets for lunch. Like that's the uh, weather <laughs> Well, actually, I shouldn't say it's it's lunch. It's tea. It's tea time. Yeah. That's why he's having tea and crumpets. So we cut back home to Burns, uh, getting at his. Uh, him and Marge are pretty much sick of each other. Uh, she even says like, "I can't find your inner beauty when you're screaming at a, an eight year old girl." I've all i've only got two days left so i advise you to shut up and paint the second time he's told someone to cease their infernal tootling that's right yeah yeah <laughs> we then cut to uh homer weighing in one more time and i will say you know i getting under 239 i and getting a smaller belt really did it does fill you with confidence i know it's a joke about homer <laughs> but actually it does it did make me feel good and uh, and this is again a type of thing they wouldn't do too long after this this makes you actually care about homer's feelings like you actually feel really bad for homer in this little scene all right whoa 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 march i'm 239 and i'm feeling fine look i'm using the original notches that came with my belt that's wonderful homer i'm so proud let me of you. get this straight you pleased with your current appearance <laughs> oh, why my good man you're the fattest thing i've ever seen and i've been on safari <laughs> if you need me i'll be in the refrigerator <laughs> mr burns i've had enough of your posing i can finish the portrait myself do thank goodness another day in this suburban nightmare and i would have needed half a white valium thank you for your gracious <laughs> hospitality see you at the unveiling No, Burns is right. What's the use? Don't you Don't. listen to him? He's just a mean little SOB. Go, Mark. Taking the gun out of Homer's mouth. Basically. I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, once you once you start pouring the whipped cream back in your mouth, it's 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 hard to take it uh, out again. You know, once you just have I it, that frustration of like and just that Homer has this very small amount of confidence and that Burns shatters it just immediately, and the way Smithers joins in and laughing at him because you know he's not that Smithers is that mean, but he's like, oh, Mister Burns made a joke. I better laugh with it. That's that's how I read it. And it's just so I like hearing Homer sob off screen <laughs> like you you really feel for him. You never think Homer is sensitive about his weight most times. But here it's it's sad. Well, and this is like one of the few examples I feel like I can point to from the series where like when they do the diet thing with Homer one, he's successful at it. And, you know, it is actually like giving him some, you know, self-esteem and emotional uh, heft, you know, but like the family is also being supportive. Like everyone around him that isn't Mr. Burns and Smithers is actually being fairly supportive of like, yeah, Homer, yeah, if this is what you want to do, okay. But like, you know, all it takes is that one knife that one mm. little stab wound mm. from from Burns, and it just shatters the whole thing. And Burns knows he's doing it, like he's doing oh, yeah. it to hurt Homer. Like, yeah, and and Burns doesn't see Homer as a person, or really anybody as a person. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I also love the shot. It's a crazy front 
facing Marge, but her gasp at like the zoom in <laughs> on her of going like, ah, like that's so good. Uh, and yeah, Homer, Homer just giving up. And then Marge also loses her confidence too. Like she's just like, I'm no artist. Like Burns has destroyed them with just like one afternoon. That's how awful he is. And, uh, but they, they also keep you aware of the ticking clock. Like Homer says, well, at least you got to paint this by noon tomorrow. Like they, they don't have much time left. And, uh, Nowadays, when you can get replies on Twitter from your favorite celebrities, which really has its ups and downs, um, it doesn't seem as novel. But getting a letter in the mail from a famous person like mm-hmm. that, did, that has to feel pretty special for Marge here. Now, now it's just like the, the best times on Twitter, are just when you find like early Twitter of finding like, oh, this writer did a thing I like, like Bill Oakley or Josh Weinstein. You just go like, hey, that was a really great episode of Simpsons. I loved it growing up. Thanks. Or they'll yeah. at least like your tweet. Yeah, they'll get a like yeah. on it. Yeah. But is this some sort of magic package, or was there very good mail forwarding address technology at the time in <laughs> yes. which yeah. she sent it from her mother's house mm-hmm. in the 70s? <laughs> uh, let's say that it got sent. Her mom never moved out of her old place, and then uh, the mother forwarded it to there. Sure. Let's say that. Or let's I think that might actually be true. I think that, that uh, Marge's mom actually does live in their childhood house, if I'm remembering correctly. Yet, you know, in this episode, I'd say yes. By season five, when she's uh, dating Mr. Burns, she's staying at the Hal Roach. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Home. Yeah. But this is the first. I I would bet she's still living at home there. Though also, hey, you know, Ringo, he's got all this money. He can he gets private investigators find this woman. I have to send <laughs> it back to her current address. Weatherby is on the scene. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you mentioned the social media thing. I think getting a reply from a beetle would still be a pretty big deal these days. You know, I think that still maybe goes above, like, say, Gerard Way, you know, liking (laughs) a joke you made about ass eating once, which was something that actually happened to me one time. Uh, uh, Or, and let's not even talk about cameos, the the business. Oh, God. I got one for my mom of Jonathan Frakes, and uh, he was a great guy. Just cool dude. I love Jonathan Frakes. Just a great actor. Not appreciated enough and uh my seems like a total sweetheart too he, he he was very nice in the i mean he's paid to be nice in the cameo but yeah. he he seemed like a genuinely nice guy uh who also like i mean i think i think my mom had a little bit of a crush on him back in the uh in the 90s so i, I oh who didn't uh, yeah. that beard <laughs> he was dreamy yeah. uh, i'm looking at ringo star's twitter right now and it's very cute because he ends every tweet with uh six emojis <laughs> uh in order they are uh sun Sunglasses, smiley face, peace sign, sun, heart, music sign, uh, music notes, uh, either cherries or broccoli, and then a peace sign. <laughs> wow. Love it. That's great. Uh, that's great. Earnest emojis. I love that. You know? And uh, of course, peace and love is in every tweet. Of course. Uh, it has to be. It's like Hulk Hogan signing his tweets with HH. Which, or uh, James Conn sending sending every single tweet with end of tweet. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yes, Marge gets a letter. I guess I'm no artist. Hmm. Hello, what's this? It's for you, Marge, from merry old England. From the desk of Ringo Starr. Dear Marge, thanks for the fab painting of yours truly. I hung it on me wall. You're quite an artist. In answer to your question, yes, we do have hamburgers and fries in England, but we call French fries chips. Love, Ringo. P.S. Forgive the lateness of my reply. No! <laughs> Come on, Marge Paint. I think you can do it. No, 
Okay, Homer. If you think I can. You know, until the first time we covered this, I just thought that's probably a Beatles song, <laughs> and then I re- then I found out it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it was his first uh, solo hit for Ringo. I, Alex, would you say that is his biggest solo hit? Ringo's uh, "Don't Come Easy." It's the only one I can kind of name off the top of my head, <laughs> so I'm just gonna go ahead and say yes. I my my knowledge of Ringo's songwriting output is relatively limited mm. outside of the actual Beatles catalog, but I, I have heard that song outside of this Simpsons episode, so I'm just gonna call it. Okay, mm. yeah, it's a 1971 song released as a non-album single. It was produced by George Harrison and co-written by Harrison, but he was not credited as being a co-writer. So there you go. It's like, oh, what's my favorite Ringo song? Well, the one George Harrison pretty much just wrote for him and <laughs> just gave to him. But hey, those guys were united as like, hey, we're, you know, Paul and jo- uh, Paul and John can just fight each other. We'll uh, just have fun together. Like that's at the video store I worked at uh, in the late aughts. Uh, you'd put on concert videos uh, to kill the time. Like you could eventually you get tired of putting on movies that aren't rated R because that's, you know, against the rules of the place. So I was like, oh, a concert film is just listening to music. So we put on a concert for Bangladesh and the opening uh, that the first song is Don't Come Easy and it's Harrison performing it with Ringo on stage and the audience is just vibing so hard <laughs> because this is the first time these two have been on stage together in like five years uh, and after the Beatles broke up. It's really great. And Ringo actually fucks up a line in the song, but uh, they just go with it. It actually makes it more fun than he messes up the line in his song. But look, look it up. Look up that performance from Concert for Bangladesh is a really good one. I don't think I've ever actually seen Concert for Bangladesh before. I've heard so many jokes and like references to it, but I've never actually sat down and watched it. Oh, it's a it's a fun concert film. It's really good. And lots of if you're into Beatles mania, like there's a ton of Beatles favorites show up. Like Billy Preston has a song in it too, and tons of great performers uh in it. Like it was really a super show. Was that the joke in like Father Like Clown when Krusty won't leave? He puts on that album and it's famously very long. It is very long, okay. yes. Yeah, and well, and it starts with a 30-minute Ravi Shankar song, right. which that's the funniest bit in the basically at the start of the concert concert uh ravi shankar is playing and he's he's tuning up and the audience applauds when he finishes tuning up because they think like oh his song is over so the beatles will get on stage now and he says like oh well if you liked us tuning up then you really like this and he plays for like 20 minutes which you know was respectfully listened to by a crowd but i think they were getting impatient for the beatles to get on stage yeah yeah i will say that amid my various my parents various classic rock records and whatnot there were at least three ravi shankar albums and none of them could ever explain to me how exactly they came into their possession (laughs) the i i think too another reason ringo would have said yes to this is that they had to pay him to use his the master recording version of don't come easy so you know a good payday for ringo here as well and, and I guess for George Harrison, too. And Disney's paying for it for this very day. That's true, yeah. I would guess they must have paid one big lump sum for DVD and streaming rights. That uh, let's Who knows? You know, maybe 10 years ago, they're like, ah, crap, streaming. All right, let's just pay. Let's write $8 million of checks for all these songs. Well, it's so it's interesting because, you know, there's obviously a number of shows over the years where like home video versions have been held up by music licensing, like just about every MTV thing, like Miami Vice very famously didn't come to DVD for a long time because they wanted to get the music rights for it. So at this point, they definitely would not have been 
signing contracts for home video releases at all. Mm. Uh, that would have been something they had to go back and do. But also, I could totally see Ringo being like, yeah, just pay me again. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Just give me more money, by all means. For them, for the Simpsons, it's just money, not permission. It really, and the DVD sales were so high for season one that they probably were like, ah, whatever, whatever we have to pay for yeah. the song rights will be yeah. paid back. Now that yeah. I think about it, that's probably why we're not getting any more DVDs. Not, I mean, I'm sure they would sell well enough to justify the DVD printing and everything, but I don't know if it would justify all the royalties because they use a lot of popular songs. True. Yeah. They, and you know, at this point, Disney is very in on the Disney Plus thing, and I'm sure that they see having all that stuff there. Collect- Collected as a big boon for them so with no more of those commentary tracks it might reveal secrets <laughs> disney doesn't like mm-hmm. getting out so yes marge paints through the night she keeps trying and trying and then is struck with an idea but we don't get to see what her idea is uh so we then cut to the fancy party mo and barney are there for some reason it's a fun background gag where barney is holding an entire bottle of champagne that's good yeah. i feel like that yeah and uh, i would assume mo just like snuck his way in and, and also barney is drawn wrong it's the blonde hair barney mm-hmm. in the background like somebody took uh used the old color palette there so i guess burns was too busy like they said oh it's it's in one day you got to do it by noon tomorrow so there was no time to check it nobody whoever hung that up had <laughs> to go like hey the, this this could cause a problem He's, he seemingly shows up right before the unveiling yes, just to do yeah. the unveiling <laughs> you know he's a busy guy but, uh, but yes, Burns, I also, it seems almost too hip for Burns to say commemorating the man who ponied up the dough. I like hearing that from a rich guy who's just like, yeah, my, you, you're doing this to respect me and my <laughs> philanthropy. Like, you're, you're here to compliment me. Well, there was that story that came out today, wasn't there, that was like uh, UC Santa Barbara is building this awful new housing complex at their thing that was designed by a 97-year-old billionaire oh, really? who funded it. And his, his instructions were that uh, you have to use my design exactly. <laughs> like, dudes oh. with that much money just love basically forcing people to take, take whatever bad idea they have and just run with it. They can do wow. SimCity in real life. That's amazing. Yeah. That's... Well, that's right up there with Burns's having to buy Yale an airport to get his son into Yale. We could use an international airport. <laughs> I'm not made uh, of airports. <laughs> uh, and so another of my favorite just noises. This is full of so many great noises. The sound of Burns pulling on the rope fruitlessly like a... Like just that sound. I, I love that. Smithers has to help him. Pulls down the rope. It is revealed it is a nude portrait of Burns and not a very flattering one. And Mr. Lombardo is shocked. It's the first, like, I don't like this at all. The first painting he doesn't like. Uh, and so everyone's in shock. Burns is greatly uh, insulted. Nobody knows what's going on here. And then I have to think this speech by Marge is 100% James L. Brooks. Absolutely. I, absolutely. I, yeah. Um, hello? My name is Marge Simpson, and I painted this. Maybe you'd like to know what possessed me to do it. Well, I guess I wanted to show that beneath Mr. Burns's fearsome head with its cruel lips, spiteful tongue, and evil brain, there was a frail, withered body, perhaps not long for this world, as vulnerable and beautiful as any of God's creatures. Provocative, but uh, powerful. He's bad, but he'll die. So I like it. (laughs) Hmm. Marge, a word please? 
You know, I'm no art critic, but I know what I hate. And I don't hate this. Your painting is bold, but beautiful. And uh, incidentally, thanks for not making fun of my genitalia. I thought I did. Ha. So that is the grand debut of Miss Hoover, mentioned yep. twice at this point, uh, debuting with blue hair. she go back and forth between brown and blue before she stuck at brown. We do a whole bio on her and Lisa Substitute, by the way. But yeah. it's funny that she is paired with Hibbert, and she is the <laughs> one who has the best line. They give it to Miss Hoover, and they, she's not identified as Lisa's teacher, just like random woman holding champagne. <laughs> He's uh, bad, but he'll die. No, that's uh, that's a Bob catchphrase there. That's uh, that's words Bob, Bob lives by, and I mm-hmm. I love them too. Yes, it was just if there's an, an evil old person and you don't like him, you just have to go like, yeah, but he'll die eventually. Eventually, yeah. <laughs> just also hearing Marge describe him as like perhaps not long for this world, meaning that when you look at him, you're just like, oh, he'll be dead soon. There's look a there's a yep. second there's a brief reaction from Burns at that line when Marge says perhaps not long for this world. His eyes get really big, like oh, I, I guess I will die. Yeah. But it's like maybe. <laughs> Maybe half a second you see that. It's great. Uh, fortunately for Burns, he's a cartoon character. He'll never die. His, his, uh, as we learn later, he has the Three Stooges syndrome that prevents <laughs> him from dying. Yeah. But, uh, but man, the just, yeah, all of the stuff of hiding his penis in the shot, like, and just that line, obviously, as a child, I did not know the line, gen- the word genitalia. This taught me it. And just what a perfect exit line of like, thanks for not making fun of it. I thought I did. Like, <laughs> that Marge apparently drew his penis so small that she felt it was like, well, this must be, uh, I am mocking him with this tiny penis. And Burns saw it as like, oh, hey, that's, you know, you didn't, you did right by my penis. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't think of too many other examples where Burns's penis is very specifically referenced in the series. Like maybe later in the show, they go back to the well on that one. But I feel like this <laughs> is a, this is the most clear cut example of them being like, yo, Burns has that tiny dick (laughs) (laughs) it's like an acorn man and apparently there was a a big battle to get the word genitalia on the air right before the family-friendly show top of the heap i take it (laughs) in that uh fox is like absolutely not you're not ending the show with the word genitalia this is not this filth is not getting on tv so uh they they wrote a group letter all the writers together like it was signed by sam simon james l brooks and matt graining they delivered it to fox and fox said okay and i think the writer said he has that letter framed on his wall uh, that's why they all went to that. bat for him that's great that's great i want to see that letter over something so silly like genitalia is such a fancy word it is i i don't it's think so clinical yeah it it does not feel like a crude word to me i i i mean you know was this just fox being like extra dainty about it uh, because of all the problems they've gotten into with married with children it's uh yeah it's such a strange strange choice i mean too we've heard the theories before that because they have a rule with james l brooks that fox can't give them uh notes beforehand that the only notes they can really give are censor notes so Sometimes they go above and beyond, as as we know in Homer's phobia. Originally, they were told any reference to gayness has to be taken out of this. Basically, just trying to kill the episode. To know that there was that much of a fight over genitalia, a word that just flew over my head as a child. Yeah, I was like what nine years old when this came out. Like, I don't think I even batted an eye at it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure my parents probably just didn't even think about it at the time either. It just seems like he's like just such a weird thing to like plant a flag in a hill over you know (laughs) 
And it's crazy to me, though, too, that Burns is so easily won over by a big, a little sitcom ending speech, though. Like, yeah. he should just be like, no, I'll never forgive you for this. Like, you just humiliated me. I spent all this money to be humiliated. Like, fuck you. Yeah, but, you know, I, I sort of get it. Like, as, as comically evil as Burns is, this is one of the few examples you can actually point to of a main character doing any work to try and humanize him. You know, mm. even if that, that, that humanization is just you know a, a grotesque sort of like you know portrait of him that sort of like you know again willfully kind of mocks his genitals <laughs> like it the fact that anyone would even say a nice thing about him and not just to like just to sort of like placate his rich man ego i'm sure to him that was just like oh oh okay <laughs> <laughs> and uh and that nude painting would return in the mansion family episode from mm. season uh 11 that's right when they go into the uh when they uh, bart is exploring burns's mansion looking for stuff to steal and uh, bart walks by the painting again so i guess at some point either burns had a copy of this made or it got moved out of this wing of his building to his home one of those two. And one more thing about Top of the Heap, the sitcom, <laughs> the failed sitcom that would air after this. The first episode that you would see after this was co-written by Mike Scully. Whoa. Wow. Who do, uh, has this airing? He's like, I'll never get to write for The Simpsons. I'm not good enough for that. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that Mike Scully worked on that. So yep. That's awesome, man. You know, we just, uh, the last season two one we did, a recording for was Bart's Dog Gets an F. And that one that really follows the track of just obvious sitcom stuff like there's a problem with the dog and they go to obedience school like and if you say it just conceptually marge uh, rediscovers a lost talent and homer goes on a diet that feels like very stock sitcom -y stuff but this is them finding new crazy funny things to do with it specifically thanks to the help of both uh things that they count on so much in every episode going forward burns being a funny crazy old man yeah and celebrity guest stars yeah the secret yeah. sauce to make this all more than a stock sitcom plot is burns mm -hmm. he is the show's secret weapon in that regard and i, I was telling henry off offline before i think this might actually be my favorite episode of this season like to me, it is the perfect blend of the kind of early show earnestness that was just like the straight up sitcom and then also them kind of finding that rapid fire rhythm for jokes throughout the episode, but especially once Burns kind of walks in. They can mine Burns for so much that it's uh, it, it's a gift that keeps on giving for them. This is when they discover like, oh, we love Burns like this. Mm -hmm. That's why like the next time it wouldn't be too long after this, they'd be like, blood feud you know what why don't we have burns hang out with them a lot let's do a lot more burns here that's why that one i think is my favorite season too but it's mm. the very last one yeah it's the punchiness lets them get beyond that you know the last the last earnest episode is probably their best one and that's uh lisa substitute but uh which comes right after this one but this one is such uh it's it's them figuring stuff out they're they're getting out of boring town for sure mm -hmm. i i this is one of my favorite i think three men in a comic book is my personal favorite but for very personal reasons of nerdiness <laughs> totally but, yeah <laughs> but alex thank you so much for all of your your beatles insights yes. yeah thank you alex uh please tell us where we can find you online and more about next lander 
Sure thing. Uh, Next Lander is a streaming and podcast project between myself, uh, Brad Shoemaker, and Vinny Caravella, formerly of GiantBomb.com. We play video games, we talk about video games, all that fun stuff. We'll probably do some other non-video game stuff at some point, but we're not there yet. You know, right <laughs> now we're just uh, kind of getting getting into the groove here. But uh, we are at NextLander.com. That will take you to our Patreon if you want to support us. Uh, our podcast, the NextLander podcast, is found pretty much everywhere if you just go looking for it. Uh, and we're on Twitch at NextLander, and I'm on... Uh, Twitter myself, uh, Alex underscore Navarro, if you want to hear me talk about uh, wrestling a lot. <laughs> I I love, uh, you know, I, I checking in on your, your streams, but also the one of my favorite things is to watch to watch e3 or other press conferences with you guys <laughs> like that that's so great because i i'm like oh i don't even have to think of the witty thing for me to say i can just watch wittier people say funny stuff about this <laughs> it's yeah. actually some of my favorite stuff that we do because i just i as someone who grew up watching a lot of mystery science theater i sure love riffing and mm-hmm. uh Turns out game company executives give you plenty of opportunities to riff. <laughs> there, there, there is more serious than any bad actor. The, who's who's the Coleman Francis of video games right now? I wonder. Is <laughs> oh it boy. Randy Pitchford? Okay, yeah, yeah. Yep, I agree with that. That's <laughs> that's why you paid the big bus. You instantly thought up about immediately. That. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that, thank you so much, Alex. It's thank always you, Alex. great having you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a fun one to talk about. Mm-hmm. So thanks again to Alex Navarro for being on the show. Please check out Next Lander, everything they're doing over there. But as for us, if you want to check out more of what we're doing and get all these episodes one week at a time and ad-free, please go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Sign up there for five bucks a month. You get just that, but also access to everything behind the $5 paywall. That includes all of our limited miniseries. The most recent one we're doing right now is Blabbing About Batman, the animated series that is 10 new episodes of a new Batman-related podcast where we talk about where the show came from and 10 episodes that are our favorites and clips and research and everything you come to expect from the Talking Simpsons Network. It's only behind the $5 paywall at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons along with a hundred other bonus podcasts that you haven't heard if you're not a patron. We have a $10 level as well. When you sign for that, you get access to all the $5 stuff, of course, but also access to one super long podcast once a month only for patrons of that level or higher. And what is that podcast, Henry? Bob is talking about the What a Cartoon Movie Podcast. Now, you might know and you should know that we have a sister podcast, what a cartoon where twice a month me and bob cover an animated series just as in depth as we do an episode of the simpsons we've covered so many awesome shows and at the end of each month we go super in depth often over four hours long on an animated feature film we call that what a cartoon movie and that's only available in full if you are a ten dollar and up subscriber at patreon.com slash talking simpsons we've done over three years of them at this point covering so many films this month in december we're finishing out the year with film by Satoshi Kon, Millennium Actress. The month before that, we did the Christmas classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, a giant back catalog of over 200 hours of original podcasts about films as varied as the end of Evangelion to Beavis and Butthead to America and everything in between. Check it all out. You can see a huge list of it if you go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. So as for me, I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. And my other podcast, by the way, is Retronauts. It's a classic gaming podcast about old video games. Find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash Retronauts. Sign up there for two full-length bonus episodes every month. Henry, what about you? Follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. Much like Alex, I'm also tweeting a lot about pro wrestling, I'm sure. So please follow me there, H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. 
Also, if you're following us on Twitter, follow the official Twitter account of this podcast at Talk Simpsons Pod. At Talk Simpsons Pod. Follow it. You'll be in the loop about all the podcasts we do, whether they're on the free feed on Patreon. Whenever there's news about upcoming stuff, you'll learn about it first if you follow at Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time for Season 12's I'm Going to Praise Land. We'll see you then. Don't work unless you move, Homer. I can't move, boy. Oh, really? <laughs> oh.